This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Sand By Me, a podcast from the boys at Overdue, which is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. This is our limited run. Small um, batch, bespoke. I was trying to find other Artisanal. Words. Yeah, artisanal. That's right. Craft. Uh, hand, hand to table. <laughs> Uh, organic Wait, free range podcast. What am I thinking of? I'm thinking about the farm to table. Farm to table. I'm thinking about when they come and they make the guacamole by the at the table. <laughs> Is that hand to table? Yeah, it's because they're making it with your hands. And yes, then they put it on the table. Sure. This podcast <laughs> is like when you go to the like uh, the hibachi places and they cook it in front of you. That's yeah, and they, the is. guy like th- tosses the egg. This is us. This is us tossing the egg. Isn't it an onion? I mean, do they know they do an egg? Do they also do an egg? Yeah. Great. Toss me the, the egg. Onion, the onion, they do the volcano with the onion. Oh, you're right. Toss the egg, volcano the onion. It's the Sandman, Neil Gaiman's book that we're mm-hmm. reading. One mm-hmm. issue, not one issue, one volume one at a time. One collected volume at a time. This yes. This month, we're reading A Game of You, game which collects of you. A game of you, which collects issues uh, thirty-two to thirty-seven. Correct. Which yep. Published between November nineteen ninety-one and May nineteen ninety-two. A heady, heady time in our nation's great history. Yeah. We made a th- little, little guy named William Jefferson Clinton's coming up in the <laughs> coming up the polls. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was collected and first published in hardback in nineteen ninety-three. Each of the issues gets its name from a song. Um, you've got Slaughter on Fifth Avenue, Lullabies of Broadway, Bad Moon Rising, Beginning to See the Light, Over the Sea to Sky. I woke up and one of us was crying. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure why it's all songs. It just seems like a yeah, fun thing songs. that he did. Yeah, you just know? songs. Just Neil Gaiman's having a little bit of fun. Um, last episode, Season of Mists, just to catch everybody up. Lucifer left hell. He gave the keys to our man Dream. Murphy. Uh, yeah, Murphy. <laughs> Murphy. Uh, all of the dead came back. All the dead that were in hell like, came back as ghosts for a little bit. That was strange. Just for a minute. Yeah, yeah. just to like haunt weird Boyd's schools in <laughs> yes. Britain. Uh, a rogues gallery of other mythologies hung out with Dream, all vying to get hell. And he wanted to save the lady that he had condemned there uh ages before yeah and then at the end he gave it to angels who work for literal god Mm -hmm. um and we're not sure how that's good seems like it might not be great for the people in hell it's kind of maintaining the status quo at best yeah at best at At best best. (laughs) 
And really, the I just think that they this is kind of a policy failure that all these deities need to come and and beg Dream for the real estate that is in hell. Yeah, and just really, there should be enough affordable space for everybody. In they the need afterlife. to change the zoning laws mm-hmm. in the cosmos mm-hmm. to allow for multi-unit development in hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No parking minimums, please. In hell. <laughs> God, my hell would be nothing but parking minimums. Anyway. It would be all bike lanes. No. Well, no, that, you would, no, no, all bike lanes. Nothing but bike lanes. So you can't even but walk? You, but you'd still... Yeah, you still have people trying to walk, trying to drive a car, but mm. it's all bike lanes. I like mm, bike lanes. Hell, you don't even ride a bike. Do you even own a bike? No, I use rental bikes. Rental bikes? Yeah. Jeez. You tourists, why don't you no, own your I own have bike? A membership. Why don't you commit? Why don't you commit? I have a <laughs> commit to I have a, a membership to stations where I can check a bike in and out. Get it's a, a bike, bike share so program. Get a bike so you can name it and call it your hog and ride it around the city. Here's the thing. I do that like every time. <laughs> you have a different name for all of them? Or yep. is it just... Yep. Hmm, every interesting. time. Interesting. And I always... I remember when I get the same bike back. Ah, Sally. Good to see you. Sally's back. Yep. Sally oh, ride. Jeremy. Sally, Sally, Sally rides. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this... Um, how does this one start, Andrew? Because I was going to dive right into like our main character, but I think there's like a quick... It starts with in the dream. I When does Morpheus... Morpheus shows up a little ways in, actually. Okay. So it's it starts with like a small little thing in a place that's simply called the land. The land, yes. Mm-hmm. Very snowy. We're a, fella, we're a bunch of bunch of speech bubbles are talking to each other. We don't know who any of these people are. Correct. Uh, there's this guy, Martin Tenbones, oh, who's Martin. who has to go find somebody. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's in a Vermont. Fam- it's a Vermont. It's in a familiar font. Yeah, a Vermont. A Vermont from uh, a set of dreams that we saw in the doll's house. It's that kind of like medieval fantasy font Uh a lowercase gothic font um that makes me think that's some you know like sort of a sword and sorcery vibe yeah who knows what's going to be possible here um but then we meet the actual people that this that these books are going to be about we meet barbie andrew she's a barbie Barbie girl in a barbie who we've barbie who we've met already also also from a doll's also from a doll's that's how we know these dream looks mm-hmm. what's her deal uh barbie uh split up with ken you might okay so the, the stuff that happened in a doll's house is uh rose walker who's a dream who was a dream vortex yeah moved into a hey arnold house with yep. a bunch of uh a goofy lovable house? weirdos yeah a bunch of goofy lovable weirdos uh barbie and ken were like aggressively normie yeah uh, until at least until we encountered their dreams, where Ken only dreamed about like Wall Street, like yeah. stockbroker garbage. <laughs> yup. And Barbie dreamed about being a princess who was wandering a magical land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that sequence at the end of the doll's house, where the the barriers between dreams are breaking down, and everybody's dreams are all getting mixed together. Barbie and Ken don't really like talk to each other after that. Yes. And they guess then they guess then they split up. Yes. So Barbie's moved to New York, the Big Apple. 
New York City. And she's found another another sort of apartment, a crumbling apartment building filled with lovable weirdos that <laughs> yes. she's that she's inhabiting. That's true. That's and true. that's that's kind of that's where we that's where things open. Yeah. Um, her friend Wanda has come over uh, to her apartment to wake her up. They're going to go sh- shopping, quote unquote. They're going to, you know. Window shopping. Like they, and then the, the, Wanda suggests Tiffany's and Barbie's like, why would we go to Tiffany's? And Wanda's like, well, we don't have money. <laughs> why would we go somewhere? Why, well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where we're going to go. We're going to go to Tiffany's. Yeah. We're not going to buy anything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think is it the the way that we get introduced to people that Wanda's gonna make like coffee for Barbie and then like Wanda like I liked I it'd be easy to gloss over this section but I think it's a neat way that Gaiman introduces the other characters in the building lets us spend some time with Wanda get a sense of how she reacts to all these people so like mm-hmm. obviously Barbie is there we meet. Um, Thessaly, yes. who's got big glasses. Big glasses is her main thing. It's it's the interesting one of the interesting things about how characters are designed in Sandman. Yeah, is that they have to be recognizable across multiple art styles, and that doesn't really yep. happen with within a game of you. I think all the game of you stuff is uh, is mm-hmm. mostly drawn by the same person. Usually, you have information on that to hand. I don't know if you do this time. Yeah, there's um, pencils for issue three, Bad Moon Rising, were originally done by Colleen Doran, mm-hmm. um, but almost all of them, all the other ones had pencils by Shane McManus. Okay, Sean so. McManus Oh, what yep. I have in my thing. That, yeah. Well, that would be how you would pronounce that name if you read it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> so... So not not a big thing within Game of You, but you meet many characters across yeah. many different artists as you read through the Sandman. Yeah, and they all like they all have to have something that's identifiable enough that you can just look at a person and be like, oh yeah, that's who that's supposed to be. A and silhouette so, that works. And so, yeah. and so Thessaly's thing is like big, big glasses and like long hair with a hairband that pulls it back. Yeah, but like mostly big glasses. Mostly big glasses, and she's shorter than everybody else. But it's almost exclusively big glasses. But mostly, yeah. It's big oh, glasses. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we also meet, um, who is it? It's Hazel and Foxglove, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they're a couple. They live together. I think is it Foxglove, aka Donna who is the former partner of the girl in the diner episode. The girl in the diner from the very first uh, collection that we read. Yeah. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Judy, I think, is her name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is seeing Hazel now. Um, Hazel's uh, thing is short hair and cigarettes. <laughs> short hair, cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, secret pregnancy. <laughs> well, yeah. Not. Mm. Um, but yeah, so Wanda's going around trying to get some creamer for coffee. There's a cute little frog mug that she gets from Hazel and Fox Club. Oh, we meet we meet that we meet the guy too, right? George. Yeah, we, we meet, meet George. Who's creepy a creep. George. Creepy George. I don't know. He's, he's got living a... in this apartment building full of women, and he's a big creep. <laughs> yes, he's all. You can't even see his eyes through his his glasses. Um, I guess we'll, oh, real quick, like we Fox, get a good look at his eyes later, which is nice. Yeah. Um, Foxglove has kind of a how? What would you describe her deal is like? 
like a punk Madonna situation, yeah, like, punk, like punky blonde sort of. Yeah, like if Cindy Lauper wore black t-shirts, hair not quite as like spiked up as Death's hair is, but similar not that silhouette. Far off yeah, either. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, blonde, and not uh, the living incarnation of Death. Yeah. The living incarnation of the concept of human death. Well, no, not even human death. Everything <laughs> just death. death. Yeah, just death. Um, and when we come back to Barbie after she's gotten the creamer, um, Barbie has shown us that she's in this thing now where she kind of paints her face in cool patterns. Yes, and somebody, I think, not inaccurately, in a sort of semi dream sequence she's having, uh, accuses her of painting her face differently every day in an attempt to convince other people that she is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Woof. Um, but they're going to go out. They're friends. Um, it's and just, then it's it. Have you ever just tried, just tried to decide that you have a thing and just like, make the thing happen? And there's always like that first. You know, week or so where you're trying, you're deciding that this is your thing now, and everybody's like, "Well, that's weird." But if you'd stick with it, then it's just your thing. I don't, have you? Mine is a little squiggly dash that I use what? to sign emails. Yes, you did come up with that. I didn't come up with it. I just started doing. <laughs> it is your thing, though. Mm-hmm. It's different. Yeah. It's wavy. Yeah, it's a wavy. It's a little wavy dash. In high school, I got a a, a brown leather jacket. I liked it. Ooh, what happened to it? I still have it, actually. Why don't you somewhere. wear it anymore? What happened? What happened to you? You used to be cool. No, it wasn't <laughs> and then like you a sold cool... out to the man. <laughs> it wasn't a cool <laughs> like biker rental jacket. bikes. <laughs> it was kind of boxy and just kind of you know whatever. It was a neat jacket, but like there were there was like a week where I was wearing it like all day at school uh-huh. like inside uh, out of season just uh-huh. like i have this cool jacket that's your now. thing i'm the i'm jacket guy that didn't last for very long i was not jacket guy mm-hmm. i mean do you still have it is it or is it i think i still have it no it might be in my closet mm-hmm. huh, i'll have to take a look all right interesting interesting yeah. um curious to know more <laughs> So then we get a quick little snippet of uh, Dream and the Raven. Matthew? We just talked about Matthew? Yeah. He's not a crow. I messed it up once. He's a raven. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And Dream is like, oh, I got got a psychic message that uh, part of the dreaming is is, uh, going under or something. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And he's... uh, just like a little, little part of it's a good fading. It's going to be done, which is yep. a, which is a thing that happens. It is yep. a is a part of the dreaming. It just some things come, things go. He, re- he calls them the scaries, S K E R R I E S. Yeah, um, that he says that. Yep, they just they go away sometimes. Uh, so then we get this is all still in the first issue. Uh, Wanda and Barbie are going out for breakfast. Um, there's this woman on the train um, who we learn later. I think her name is Maisie. Um, Doesn't like dogs is her main she thing. She does not like dogs is her main thing. Um, and people around her don't, you know, treat her very nicely. She's, you know, she is not uh, very comfortable in the crowd on the train and things like that. Um, but she's running away from them. She runs into Martin Tenbones. Martin Tenbones, who's a big, shaggy, weird dog. 
person. Thing. Kind of a um a never ending story type creature, like a Falcor. He doesn't look like Falcor, but like he doesn't. He's a it's dog, like a, sort a, of. A little bit never ending story. A little bit that like big red monster from Looney Tunes. Yeah, like the big red hairy one. Correct. Mm-hmm. I like that. Apparently, um, the stuff with Barbie's Dreamland and kind of the style of that story uh, is very similar to a novel by writer Jonathan Carroll called Bones of the Moon, mm-hmm. which came out like right around the same time, like a few years prior to this. And that would Gaiman, be a good. That also would be a good song title. It would. It would. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaiman actually shouts out Carol in the acknowledgments in this edition. I think the story goes that they he realized that he was working on a story very similar to like he was working on this, um, and then like found out that Bones of the Moon existed mm-hmm. and wasn't sure if he should go ahead with his version of a similar princess in a dream world story. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Carroll was like, "No, nah, man, do it. You got your own thing. Yeah, it's fine." Um, so there's like there's an acknowledgement where Gaiman's like, thanks for pushing me, dude. Um, but yeah, while Martin Tenbones is in New York City, we get a little bit more about the fact that Barbie hasn't dreamed in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a little bit about what Wanda's dreams about the weirdos. Yeah, which are kind of I when we finally get into that dream, it's kind of like. Funhouse mirror like Superman stuff, right? Yeah, they are weird. They are weird. They are weird. <laughs> it's like D- DC universe esque from within the DC universe, but not with any characters who maybe DC didn't want to have. Yeah, involved in a little weird side story that they couldn't control. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is also where Barbie and Wanda talk about um, Wanda being trans, mm-hmm. which was which will become very important to the narrative later. Yeah. Um, So uh, they talk about, you know, Alvin. uh, Alvin was the name that Wanda was given when she was born, but Wanda's my real name is what she says to Barbie. That's very important for the end of the book. Well, so she says Alvin is the is the name I was the name I was born. I, I had the speci- I pulled the spe- Wanda's my real name, Barbie baby. Alvin's just the name I was born with. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in in response to Barbie saying Alvin, that's your real name. Yes, 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 yes. And it's yeah. So we the, there's a lot about um there's a lot about Wanda on the internet that you can go read because yeah. Wanda like this is a trans character in the nineties, very progressive for the time. And like mostly honestly holds up now. Like mostly there, there are some individual issues with, uh, with like the, the, her ultimate fate in the, in the story. Yep. We'll talk and, about that. And also some of the ways that, uh, people talk with her and like she responds to them have been like tweaked in newer, Adaptations in the audiobook specifically that Gaiman collaborated on. There's some like you're right, like the dialogue has been adjusted. Yeah, to- and I, I I would expect because uh, Wanda's supposed to show up in the second season of the yep. Netflix adaptation. I would I would expect at least those changes to make it through. Possibly, more possibly stuff. more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like Wanda is trans. There are she she is surrounded by people who are questioning questioning her identity because she hasn't yep uh she hasn't uh done any surgical uh 
she, she hasn't gone through any surgery or yep. anything yet. And so sometimes people comment on the fact that she still has like male genitalia and yep. she is always like steadfastly like, I know what I am. I'm yep. a woman. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and her, the, there's like a series midway through this, edi- this volume where all of the characters have their own like nightmares and hers is about like going through surgery mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. coming out the other side of that dream, still being very self-assured with herself. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, we can talk about the the end of the book and when we get to the end of it. When we get to the end, would be the usually the part where we usually that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Martin Tenbones will not join us at the end. I love the name Martin. You Tenbones. love the name Martin Tenbones. I love him. I wish he was still with us. He if did, you he, the cops kill Martin Tenbones, the cops kill Martin Tenbones. Acab. Uh, <laughs> If you ever, and I know you're not going to, but if you ever followed through with your your dog plans, I feel like you could do worse name-wise than Martin Tenbones for oh, the name man. of the dog. I don't have specific dog plans. I just wouldn't. I mean, you, you all just talked about wanting a dog ever. Yeah, we have. And maybe mm-hmm. Simon will be the reason why we get one. Give him yeah. a little friend. Or maybe, or maybe you won't ever do it. Maybe you won't ever. Uh, it's possible. Yeah. When are you going to get a dog? I never wanted a dog. Mm. <laughs> not interested. Coward. <laughs> Why don't you get a dog and name him Martin Nine Bones, and then I'll get a dog and name Martin Ten Bones. Well, always got to one up me. Yeah, Martin Eleven Bones. There's that show. Um, was it called Downward Dog? That one season sitcom. Was sure you're going to say Downton Abbey. <laughs> no. Uh, the one with um. Yes. You know with, who I'm talking uh, about. Yes. Oh, dang. What's her name? Um, uh, Allison Tolman. Al- Allison Tolman. Yes. Listen, that show is better than it looked in trailers, and it looked okay in trailers. And the dog's name is name. is Martin, and it was wonderful. Just in headcanon, the dog's middle name can be Ten Bones. Yes, it can. In my Do you have dream, anything else to dreams. say about Martin Ten Bones? Oh, that well, he came to he he escaped from the dreaming. Um, from the land, yeah, from, from the, the land. Scary in the dreaming. Yeah. He came to give her something called the not the pentatonics. What did he bring her? The I just kept thinking of it as the MacGuffin, but it's the not porpentine. It's the porpentine, yeah. It is a it is an amulet of dream power, similar. I think like you know of a piece with the thing that. Uh, Morpheus had to get back in the first. It's not as powerful as that. Yeah, but it's it like the, a, the dream ruby. Yeah, a dream ruby. Um, and the cops shoot him because they just don't understand him. Um, and because they thought that because they thought he had a gun or because. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Just because they don't. I mean, just because as cops they don't have to justify their actions to anybody after That's they shoot somebody to death really in the street. Bad. Hmm. Um, and she sees him and is like, oh my God, that's Martin Tenbones. And with his dying energy, he gives her the thing. And then we, then this is, we've been talking for a while. We're still at the first issue. Sorry. Uh, then we have to go to a campfire in the land where we meet my second favorite character in this volume. Wilkinson. Yeah. (laughs) This dude rules. You didn't tell me about any of this. I didn't tell so, you about any of the anthropomorphized rats. No. So there is um, Luz, who is a dodo bird wearing like a dickie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's seems she seems neat. 
She um, seems she she does seem that way, doesn't she? There is Pernado, who is a monkey dressed Ooh, monkey like, dressed like a bellhop, a hotel bellhop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunstan checks in sort of vibe. Yes. And then there is Wilkinson, who is a shrew. Oh, it's a shrew, not a I, rat? I thought it was I thought it was a possum. When I was doing some reading, everybody said it was a shrew. Some kind yeah. of rodent dressed like Dick Tracy from the with, movie Dick with Tracy. A, with a little press paper in his hat. Mm-hmm. He slaps. Everything about him rules. He looks so cool. And he's just got great energy um i love him i love wilkinson Mm -hmm. but they are talking about how martin tenbones went to go find the princess because they felt him die they felt him die um at one point uh, luz says for murphy's sake be quiet please which is Mm -hmm. funny Mm -hmm. uh but we're gonna find out later that there is something wrong in the land. Uh, the the cuckoo is there, and it is causing trouble. Yeah, and we also see like George from the apartment building doing something creepy when he like eats a crow. <laughs> yeah, don't like that. He just like stuffs a crow in his mouth. It's um, not like the metaphorical eating crow, but you know, he literally eats one. He does literally eat a crow, and he's got uh, a big poster so of Barbie. I think the the next like issue or two we can push through a little bit faster without sure. like, going uh, point by point. Like Barbie brings the porpentine back to the apartment building, and she falls asleep. Before um, that, she, before that happens, sorry, she helps her for she helps. Ha- well, no, like the hazel pregnancy thing comes up. Uh-huh. Which it's mostly this is because characters in this building are getting invested in Barbie, who is nice to them. Like she is nice to Hazel through that conversation. Yeah, she's nice to everybody. Um, then yeah, she goes to sleep, and then uh, she is dressed in princess outfit, and, and she's, she's in the land. And Wilkinson is like, "Oh, it's you." Mm-hmm. And everybody else in the apartment building has like these these crows sort of. Hanging out by their heads, and they're making them have well, terrible, terrible dreams about they, like all the stuff that they're the most worried about. So we they talked came already out of about George's chest. They talked. They came out of George's chest. We already talked about Wanda and the like the surgery fear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also some like baby stuff with Hazel's um, awful baby stuff. Yeah. Uh, Fox Love dreams about Judy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mentions having something in her eye, which if you remember how that all went down, that's very pretty, bad. Yeah, pretty bad. Um. But Thessaly, like, as as a she she ends up being a witch. She's a witch. Thessaly's a yep. witch. Uh, so as a as a magic user in this world, she is on to to what is happening. She kills this crow and then goes about and sort of saves everybody else from uh, from what is happening. Determines that uh, Barbie is kind of the locus around all around which all of this is happening, and like gathers everybody up together and goes to. Uh, George's apartment where they lift the sleeping Barbie and and they just all regroup up there. Well, yeah, she killed him. So, she, yes, she, she kills George, who's a creep, who's in the service of the cuckoo. Uh, she peels his face off. Yeah. With his, like in the movie Face Off. And uh-huh. with his eyes and his tongue uh, sort of nails him to the wall so she can talk to him and figure out what's going on. Yep. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty. It is gross. Also, it's. Also I mean, she does gross. have to bite his tongue out of his mouth. Yeah, and then put it in the head. Yeah, and all the you know people like Wanda and Hazel are like, yo, yeah. <laughs> Fox Love seems to be taking it okay. 
Yeah, the, like Hazel and Foxglove, probably the people we need to talk about the least. In yeah, the, mm-hmm. in the whole in the thing. whole like, story. This is yep. this is Barbie's story and Wanda's first and foremost, and then maybe Thessaly, and then everybody else is happy. Yeah, my one note on Hazel and Foxglove is it their arc kind of comes to completion several issues in when they're in the land. Um, we'll talk about how they get there in a second. And it comes out that Hazel is pregnant. Um, she had not told Foxglove. And like within Hazel and Foxglove, f- if we have not stated it clearly, now are both women yeah. and mm-hmm. lesbians. Yes, they're yep. in a relationship with each other. Yes, And um, Foxglove is like, it, over a few lines of dialogue, moves from like being mad at not being told and then is like, yeah, we're going to raise this baby. Yeah, like can, it's going to be. Can you believe how much work it's going to be to raise a baby? Yeah, with you. <laughs> yeah, with um, you, who I love. Yeah, you and idiot. The the two of the, like overall, there's a lot of stuff in this volume about like different versions of being a woman and what is your identity as a woman. And so I think the two of them, one of the things that like is the end of their story is how they come to choose motherhood or not, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. together. So like, yeah, that's them, but you're right. They are not drivers of action. There's large parts of this book where they're just like hanging out while people do magic or do dream stuff. There's a, there's a very actually, so Hazel comes to Barbie in, in, in real, in the waking world before the dream stuff all starts happening to, ask Barbie about this, uh, about the pregnancy thing because, because the internet doesn't exist yet. And because Hazel has completely correctly identified Barbie as like the only cishet woman in the building. Yeah. And is asking all (laughs) sorts of questions about like how you take a test and what kind of blood sacrifices you have to do for a test. Mm -hmm. And Barbie's like, what are you talking about? Uh It's a good scene. It's a good, they're very charming, but, Mm -hmm. but yes, Thessaly, kind of takes over it's interesting wanda moves into a not not a protagonist but is like the character that the reader kind of feels the most comfortable with as a person who doesn't understand the magic stuff but is like close to barbie who's in trouble yeah because wanda's wanda's whole thing the entire time is like we have to help barbie barbie's the only real friend i feel like i have in yep. the city like i i need to i need to do right by her i need to protect her and thessaly is like yo that man tried to send a bird into my head he's dead now and i need to find out who this cuckoo is because he was working for the cuckoo and that cuckoo's gonna be dead too yes um so thessaly does a, a spell mm-hmm. that summons the literal moon yeah the moon you know which is a god of goddess of womanhood it is a being of womanhood moon also is a turf which i was not really expecting of the moon so there's a lot of you know there's been discussion of this whole volume as like the things that wanda has to suffer in this story be it small comments from people um, all the way up to her ultimate fate at the end of the book. Yeah, there's one. There's like one line where Hazel, I think it is, says that that uh, Wanda has a thingy. Yeah, quote a thingy. Yeah, yeah. But it's in the uh, th- there's a good 
piece that we both independently read yeah. and like linked for each other. Art of <laughs> Art of Dina M dot com. D I N A M the letter dot com. Yeah, from October twenty twenty one, all about all about Wanda talking about like how she's depicted in the book and then also how she's depicted in the audiobook uh, audiobook yeah. adaptation. And the thing that like the audiobook adaptation helps to I think illuminate where Gaiman's sympathies I where I think Gaiman's sympathies like clearly lie within the book but where yep. they're like wiggly enough that they can leave room for interpretation yeah uh, Gaiman has said that Game of You is one of his favorite volumes because it's the one that readers seem to dislike the most at the time because it <laughs> yep. is this both because I mean I, I think it's some of it is discomfort discomfort with Wanda but I think a lot of it is also just like none of the like dreams barely in it and like a lot of these like supernatural characters who we've been following are just kind of taking a break a little bit and it and it doesn't Um, really um doesn't really engage with too many of the kind of either superhero or like horror-y tropes and and mm -hmm. scenarios and and things that a lot of the other issues have done it is its own self-contained story where a plot is moving along these issues and for it not to bump into Morpheus to not bump into another endless to like really just focus on this group of women. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine the type of person that I don't like who would not like that. (laughs) But most, most of the shifts in the, in the audio book are to like Wanda deals with a transphobic stuff all the yeah. time yeah. All, like all, all around her all the time yeah what the updates to the audiobook do as i understand them i've not listened to it i'm only reading this description but makes it makes it like the transphobic stuff we hear mostly from characters who were clearly not supposed to like or and that the, we're supposed to have problems with that behavior yeah and then yeah. then the the characters who are more sympathetic or who are in Wanda's corner they're just like little like the the thingy yep. uh, comment is excised just like little little things are changed to make it clearer that all the people who like Wanda and live with Wanda and accept Wanda like fully do that yep yep mm-hmm. and so this the biggest one of the biggest things that happens in this book that people have pointed to so that review and like breakdown came out a few months after uh, Neil Gaiman was like, I think he was on Twitter, like f- trying to clap down people who were saying that Terry Pratchett would have been a turf or something like just n- stupid stuff on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, here's some random panels from this book you wrote, Neil Gaiman, out of context where the moon is a turf. And <laughs> he's like, "Don't I guess you don't understand how literature works uh, because uh, Thessaly is going to use like has invoked the moon against the moon's will to give them the power to go into Barbie's dream house and dreamland, excuse me. And Barbie's dream. It's my favorite. I I only (laughs) like the later, uh, the later games in the series where Barbie can swallow enemies to get their powers. (laughs) Uh, and, I would I would buy a Ken Meta Knight if it existed. Ken Meta Knight. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, this movie's coming out. Everybody's Barbie. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Everybody's Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the magic works is that it will only take bio- biological women, is what Thessaly says. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so Wanda cannot join them in the dream to go save her friend. Yes. And, and it so, sucks. so Wanda, Wanda is given a, like she is, she is told by Thessaly, Oh, you need to stay here and guard Barbie. And in the, in the comic, it is, you could, you could read it as, you know, you can't come into the dream with us. So you need to stay here and do this, like this make work job. It's not make right? work. But I no, I don't think it, I don't think I think that it is that's how it's been read. Yeah, sure. Sometimes, but the the audiobook makes it clearer that she is doing an important thing in sure. in in staying in the the waking world and protecting Barbie. But it also sounds like that is it is not like kind of poo pooing whatever feelings Wanda might have about that yeah. reality, mm-hmm. right? Um, so. So that's that's how they're gonna get into the land of dream. That's how Wanda's gonna be uh, cut out of that trip, and Wanda's gonna be left behind with George's face on the wall, which is neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on, Maisie, the woman from the train, um, who was scared of dogs, is like having trouble out in the street and then Wanda goes and saves her and brings her in or something like that. Yeah. Because like as, as happens, as happens semi-regularly. And I don't, I don't know that they're explicitly as tied together in this book as they have been in past ones. But when, when there's turmoil happening in the dreaming, sometimes there's turmoil happening in real life. Mm. And so a hurricane is barreling down in New York city. The explanation. And remember, and remember this is the nineties before that kind of thing happened was, on a semi-regular no. base. <laughs> There's a few weather reports early in the, in the volume that say like, Oh, it's going off to the Atlantic ocean. But I think the implication is that because Thessaly pulled the moon out of the sky for mm-hmm. a little while, mm-hmm. it messed with the tides, the tides and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now the hurricane is going to come destroy New York. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, Wanda brings Maisie in, and and they connect and and bond um, while everybody else is in the dream. So Barbie's having adventures in the dream in the land, uh, not like fun adventures no. mostly either. Mostly no. just like wandering through a snowstorm and trying not to starve to death while her animal friends die one by one. Yeah, first they like hide in the snow from some ring rates, and then. Um, they go in the forest and there's some bad guys and the monkey gets got and then uh, it's her and Wilkinson and Luz and Luz, Luz ends up being a big traitor. Luz sucks. Yeah. I thought I'm that gl- I'm glad all the dodos cool. are dead. Yeah. Dodos <laughs> get out. Shrews forever. Shrews and coats forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Luz is a traitor. Brings back the black guard of the cuckoo. Who uh, kill Wilkinson horribly? Yeah, hated that panel. Slices his neck wide open. That's fun for everybody. Awful. Um, we do get like a few shots of like the town. They, like so, they put Barbie in manacles and like walk her through this town where everybody's like looks like toys and weird stuff. Like there's a clown and stuff. <laughs> um, That's how you know you're having a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Clownist there. Uh, and they're like, we're taking you to the Citadel. And she's like, no, this is my old house from Florida. And Luz is like, that's where the cuckoo is. Yeah, Get in. I mean, uh, the house in Florida is the worst place you could possibly go. If, if Would you, you about care? It, mm-hmm, is what? there? Okay, so uh, <laughs> I I have a particular brain issue where I did not grow up with a lot of people who like mounted animals they caught on the wall. Uh-huh. 
So when Barbie goes in this house mm-hmm. and like her dad's fish that he mounted on the wall is on the dream wall, I really thought it was like a I Billy did big briefly mouth think bass. it was a big mouth Billy Vez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that as in, happening in the early '90s. I think this is somewhat <laughs> before a uh, fish hanging on the wall would automatically have been assumed to be a big mouth Billy Bass. <laughs> I was so worried that it was, and so disappointed that it wasn't. But okay, no, she's my in house. my grandfather, my dad's dad, was mm. a, a hunter and a big like you know deer deer head on the wall kind Whoa. of guy. Yeah, in his in his den, yeah. which we were not allowed to go in. Well, because the deer's gonna get you. Well, also we had a lot of like really nice like hardwood furniture in there that we just. If I had furniture that nice in my house, I would not <laughs> let I would not let Henry in that room either. <laughs> yeah, the, the the version of that I've been living is like there's a whole bunch of shirts that I haven't worn in months because I know they're just gonna get spit on. They're gonna get spit up on them. So, let's wear my same like five shirts for days on end. Um, could you describe the cuckoo, Andrew? Both in how we first meet the cuckoo, and then kind of the underlying way that the cuckoo works. We know we're supposed to be creeped out by the cuckoo instantly because it's a little girl. You can and almost hear the trailer play. <laughs> yes, and every every little girl you've ever met in any movie or book has always been total creep show. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's not a it's not a ring girl no. style thing. No. It is a it's just this little blonde girl. So this is like she is a little Barbie, like when Barbie yeah. was little. Uh, she literally is Barbie when she was little. Yeah, and so she and she reveals this to Barbie. She's like, "Yeah, this is your house from Florida. I'm you when you were little." I'm going to show you into our room and make you look at all the stuffed animals. And here's Martin Tenbones and here's Luz and here's Wilkinson and here's every, like the whole gang. Is, everybody's here. Uh, and like, what is like, what's the, the cuckoo wants to kill Barbie. What is, what is the deal with that? Though? I was trying to, I was, okay. Here's what I understand is going on. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if she needs to, she explicitly needs to kill Barbie. It's like maybe she just wants like out of the. She wants out of the land. The dreaming, yeah. So what? What I understand to have happened is she wants to. She wants to destroy Barbie's Joe Pepitone necklace or whatever it's called, and uh, that will help destroy the land that the cuckoo is trapped in. Yes, because it, it becomes a. It become. We are told a couple of times it's a metaphor for an actual cuckoo bird. Because yep. cuckoo birds will lay their eggs in other birds' nests, and then the cuckoo will shove all the yep. birds' actual like eggs and and uh, like hatchlings out of the nest and take all the resources for itself. So the cuckoo wants to be able to go other places within the dreaming. Yep, to lay eggs in nests and take them over for herself and the cuckoo somehow ended up in this dream right before barbie got cut off from dreaming and so it's been trapped here ever since it couldn't leave if it wanted to and And it does very much want to and it does very much want to um and the other thing about the cuckoo is that this and i think this is part of the metaphor is that like people want to care for it like it has a thing where like 
because it's there, it takes the place of the other birds, and then like people pr- give it food and whatever. Well, it's like a, it's a cute, impish little, like yep. full house looking little kid. Like, yep. of course, yep. you want to take care of it. Yep. Um, and so then the other, th- you know, uh, Thessaly, Hazel, and uh, Foxglove are going through the land. Thessaly reanimates the face of Wilkinson in a pool of blood to find out what's going on. And Wilkinson's like, I'm dead. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the cuckoo has kind of convinced Barbie to give up and uh, help her destroy this land or destroy this big monument that will, I guess... Summon Morpheus to end the land that is yes, dying. Murphy. Many, many characters have invoked Murphy as like a god. So where where you would take the Lord's name in vain, they would take Murphy's name in vain instead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're gonna destroy this thing, and then the guests show up, these living people who should not be in a dream, which is a which is a sticking point later. Mm-hmm. Thessaly kills Luz thinking that it's the cuckoo cool i mean but are we upset that that happened no i was i meant that cool i meant it no it is cool it is it's cool that lust lust gets what's coming to lust yeah um and then that is the like kind of denouement of the of the story is briefly broken up by a moment of connection between Maisie and wanda um, Maisie. Yeah, where like Wanda invites Maisie in out of the storm, and, and Maisie tells Wanda about her grandson, grandson. I think, who also was trans. Who? Yep. Yeah. Well, and again, we'll talk about what happens to Maisie's grandson when we talk about what happens to Wanda, which will come pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. Uh, um, they destroy the thing. The cuckoo's going to be free, and then Morpheus shows up, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm. Oh, I have to delete this folder. It's out of use now." All this, all these files are corrupted. Has a bunch of old files. I don't even have the program installed on my computer that can open these files anymore. And then we get like two or three pages of just awesome art of Morpheus deleting all of these creatures, welcoming them back into him or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's narrated. I guess it's narrated by Barbie, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the images that are like the best are when she's talking about him being kind of like impossibly big and all of these creatures are like walking into him and it doesn't really make sense but it looks great mm-hmm. they're just marching into his cloak and he's 20,000 feet tall uh, and then the original lady who I guess he boned before he had a thing with anyway morpheus could you just like (laughs) (laughs) dream up some restraint or something like why does it seem like every single thing that goes wrong is because you decided to have a bad breakup like a thousand years ago (laughs) yeah this woman alienora approaches and that he originally created this place for her i guess as part of their breakup uh, and now it's gone. Now it's going away. Um, and the only thing he doesn't want to kill the cuckoo because, like, whatever the cuckoo's got to do, what the cuckoo does. Uh, and then the last part of it is like 
him deleting that land, him going back and forth with Barbie. Mm-hmm. Barbie wants safe passage for her and all of her friends back from yeah, the Yeah, Mor- Morpheus is like fulfilling the terms of the original deal he had made. And so yeah. one of one of the terms is, all right, the land is done. And then the other term is, I'll give you a boon. And Barbie, after after deciding, and after hearing that uh, Thessaly and... Uh, and, oh yeah, he knows. And the Thessaly. rest of the party, yeah. After hearing that they're in serious trouble for intruding into this dream and also like messing with the waking world, yep. They're they're gonna they they're in for it. Yep. Uh, so so Barbie hears that and decides, you know, I me and my friends are gonna go back safely to the waking world and we're gonna be okay. I did. That's, I don't that's the boon that she asks for. I don't remember if it was in the article that we both read, Andrew, or another review of this that I read that like takes a reading of Morpheus there that is like he really stresses how much trouble they're in, so that the boon that she requests is like, "Hey, can my friends go home?" <laughs> like, there he she like, could have asked for fine. more. <laughs> yeah, right. she she could have asked for something that was really inconvenient or mm-hmm. really troublesome, and he's like, "Listen, you're all in, you're really in trouble. You better ask for a boon to go home." Mm-hmm. And she does, and then he doesn't have to do anything else about her, <laughs> which might which is one read. That's just good. That's fun. just good parenting. <laughs> Um, so they all go back. Unfortunately, uh, while they were gone, the hurricane destroyed their building. Uh, she was spared because I think Maisie was on top of her. Yes, Maisie and Wanda both sort of have, have thrown themselves over Barbie and have saved her. The other three are saved because they're not physically in the building at the time that it collapses because they're in the dreaming like they aren't supposed to be. Yep. But uh, Wanda dies. Yep, and Maisie and that's, dies, and that and, and Maisie dies too. But yep. like the the in terms of tropey things that like people have used to critique this story is like yes, there there is one trans character. She's great. She's she's a lot of fun. She's super sympathetic. Yep, and also she gets killed. Yeah. Um, so it's a little, you got some barrier gay stuff going on. And then also Maisie talks about her grandson who was trans also gets murdered. Yeah. In the story about him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. I, I think Gaiman has said, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the show um, that he might, he you know, to Gaiman write said it if, today. If he, he, if he, had, it to, if he yeah. had it to write again, he would write it differently. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I've I've seen one or two reviews of the of the audiobook that are like, well, it seems pretty faithful though. And you went back and but like I don't know. It seems like to re uh, to reimagine it in the audiobook is not what that format is for. Um the T V show seems like maybe where you do that. Yeah. We'll see. Well and the T V show has some interesting stuff because the in in this in the comic, like desire is like kind yeah. of trans, maybe, but in the show, that's like d- definitely stated. Sure, sure. That the, they are like trans to non-binary, like they definitely exist yep. in that in that spectrum somewhere. And there's a lot of um, like sort of uh, race blind and like gender blind casting stuff going on. So it's a it might get to a place. Where even if this, if a game of you is told mostly like it is in this book, 
that Gaiman is not killing the only trans character in the That's story. That's also true. When he yeah. does that, like maybe, yeah. but yeah, I, I'm I am curious to see how the adaptation handles that. Be neat. Yeah. Um the last portion of this story is Wanda not Wanda, Barbie preparing to go to Wanda's funeral. Mm-hmm. Um Wanda's going, mentioned her conservative yep, parents and yep. family a couple of times and they are they uh, like did put they dead name her on her yep. tombstone. Yep. Uh, just completely they cut her hair and you know and yeah. are you know the Barbie is barely welcome there as one of like Wanda's weird New York friends. Yeah, we're like barely um, at like hate the sin, love the sinner stuff with this family. Like we're mm-hmm. barely there with how they're treating Wanda. Hate, hate the sin, also kind of hate the sin. Yep, exactly. That's kind of where this family is. Um, and I like that Barbie has drawn a veil on her face rather than wear some sort of funeral veil. It's a cool touch. Because that's what she does to make sure that she seems interesting to people. Hey, she's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, uh, after everybody leaves the cemetery, she writes Wanda's name on her tombstone with lipstick with yeah. Wanda's favorite lipstick mm-hmm. and then and then in her dream is it in her dream that night she sees Wanda with death yeah waving at her mm-hmm. yeah um that's one of the other things that uh that article that we mentioned earlier kind of points to as like what uh a being more powerful than the moon is showing us Wanda <laughs> as as Wanda's identity mm-hmm. um so you can you can Assess maybe what Gaiman's up to there, so you don't take it out of context. Sure, um, I really it's it is just really interesting when you get those like one or two panel appearances of death, the friendliest, endless in the entire universe. Yeah, because people be dying all the time, and she's always thing. smiling. And so death, and death nice. can always be there. Yes, and people mostly seem people are not death is not drag people kicking and screaming. Mostly. No. Like to the extent that they resist, they resist in the moments before they die, and then once they are dead, they are like, "Well, of course I've died." Like that's how it goes. Yep. 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 Yeah. She's always. She's never. At least as we've seen her so far, she's never taking lives. She's just there to be she's, there. When she's it taking them, but she's not like killing people. Yeah. 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 Um, this thing ruled. This was great. I really liked it. That's you like what game I have of you? To say. I liked game of me. What game of you? <laughs> it's like the time, <laughs> the Time Magazine person of the year for 2006. A game of a game of you. A game of you. Um, no, I thought it was really cool. I think I was like constantly surprised in a good way about the witch and fairy tale like logic of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, they. That's good. I agree. It's a, it is a. The the endless are not as big of a thing. Like you're going from this super like heightened like thing where like dream is dealing with every supernatural entity who could possibly want to move into hell. Like it's this really like, I don't want to say high fantasy, but it's a much more interested in the inventedness and the fantasy of it. Um, I was constantly surprised in a good way of like just 
you know, the evolution of how magic was used, the the fairy tale stuff really worked for me. I think for some people that uh, at least in like responses, contemporaneous responses to these issues, I think people were like, what is he doing with this talking animal nonsense? I'm like, <laughs> I am all here for it. Mm-hmm. I feel like this many volumes in, he's earned that type of like expansion of what dream can be. And like, I don't need another like twisted serial killer story. I've also got to imagine at least a little teeny tiny bit of the, to the extent that this received a negative response when it was happening, at least a little bit of the negative response was probably like comic bros being like, what is all this girl stuff? Yeah, totally. In my my Sandman comic. Yeah. Like, why are we talking about like pregnancy tests and, you know, gender identity. You're telling me like, there's this, there's this, there's this transgender person and there are these lesbians and I'm supposed to sympathize with their plights. Like, what and, are you talking about? And wait, her dream world were just her toys. Where's the blood? Yeah. Like, where's well, the blood? Where's I mean, the pedophiles? Did... Like, can we, can we get some serious, can we get some real serious dark stuff up in here, please? Just a bunch of Sandman fans with signs being like, bring back the serial killing pedophiles. Bring back the pedophiles. God. It's a good book. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he made the moon a turf. I think that's a bold choice. I mean, <laughs> moon's just up there. We don't know what the moon's we thinking about. Made of cheese or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, gender exclusive cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, uh, next time put J.K. Rowling on the moon. Maybe that's what we need. We just hey. need to put. We need to banish all the turfs to the moon <laughs> because the moon is a turf. <laughs> uh, the next volume that we're going to read is Fables and Reflections. I don't know anything about it. Sounds uh, like there's going to be some fables, and there might possibly. If we hang around for long enough, might be some reflections. The only per- character in this volume that I think like could factor in heavily later is like maybe we'll see some Thessaly again. I'm not sure. Like yeah, obviously, right. I would not be, you know, I would not have called like a, a full volume devoted to Barbie. So I can, you know, he'll surprise me in some way. But Thessaly, the way that he talked, Morpheus talked her at the end. Well, and you, and you never know whose thread is going to get pulled into something like briefly, like the way yeah. that we see Judy yeah. in this in this issue. Oh like, yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Like maybe we will be revisited by these characters later on. But yeah, yeah. Of, of the people who are going to be vital to the like the ongoing story of the Sandman, yes, Thessaly, Thessaly, Thessaly's in there. Thessaly's up in there. All right, Andrew. You know what we say at the end of every episode of Sand by Me? Moons of turf. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sand By Me, a podcast from the boys at Overdue, a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And this is our... Oh, wait, that's, that wasn't very, like, dreamy. My name is Andrew. This is our easy, breezy, easy, dreamy... Breezy, cover girl, mini Sandman <laughs> About Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. This is our sixth episode, Andrew. Sure is. What's that mean? It means we're reading the sixth, the trade paperback. Yeah. Fables and Reflections, originally published, well, in issue form... 
1991, Oof. 1992, and 1993. Yeah. Published as a book in 1993. Yes. And we are reading, I guess I have what is what is called the 30th anniversary edition. Yeah. which And I read some uh, copies that I read online. Yeah. <laughs> which... <laughs> Uh, okay, so ish, this one, this one's another one that's a bunch of vignettes. It's not, it's not one big overarching story, though. It does contribute to the like larger story that the entire series is telling. Let me, let me put it this out there. Okay, so far, mm-hmm. almost every paperback has been kind of like this. Isn't the main story? Mm-hmm. But it is kind of moving all the pieces in the direction of a ma- I just think that's the Sandman's thing, right? Like it's there hasn't been you know there's been drips and drabs. There are there are mm-hmm. I I think once you know the main story, it is easier to identify what is contributing like directly to the main story and what's just vibes or drips and drabs. Sure, what I'm saying is that the whole thing is vibes. Yeah, I mean it is a lot of it is vibes, yes, but also there's a there's a thread running through it that leads to a conclusion. Sure. I can see cuz I've read it before. That yeah. you can't see as easily cuz you haven't read it before. That's and that's what I'm saying. It all mm-hmm. feels like it feels like there is a thing. Mhm. Kind of unclear what that is. That's fair. But every th- every little you know morsel I get, mm-hmm. it's like, well, this will be part of some meal sometime. Yeah, it's like trying to eat tapas. It's like I'm not full. I've I've eaten like six plates. I'm not full yet, but I feel like I'm working towards Keep something. Keep them coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, last time was tapas is a beautiful, tasty. I scam. do like tapas. Um, last time. <laughs> Was we just we just had different opinions about topics. Uh, <laughs> what was the last one called? It's not in front of me. The last one is called Game of You. Oh right? yeah, there was yeah. the cuckoo, Barbie and the cuckoo, and Barbie Martin and the Ted Bones. A weird one, one of the weirder ones. But in I, a in a pantheon of weird ones. But that one was like self-contained, beginning to end story. Yes, dream, which is a weird little dream monster. Weird little dream freak. Yeah. And this one is a collection of seven issues of the comic, uh, 29 to 31, 38 to 40, and then number 50. Yeah. I think of those 50 is, well, I'm just going to make sure that I'm, yeah, 50 is like from way later in the run. And then 38, the, the 38 to 40 run is what picks up after game of you so the last game of you issue is 37 okay so we're re- some we're reading some stuff that happened in between books four and five some stuff that happened right after book five and then some stuff that happens like after the next book <laughs> not confusing at all no and which i think it's why that last issue feels because you you can sense the like the first three of them have kind of a theme running through them i think the second three I mean, they all they all are kind of themed around people telling stories to each other. I think. Yes, it, um, there are uh, there are a few that are about powerful people, mm-hmm. uh, real people. How'd you put this? Is the this <laughs> as you were reading this book? You told me that this is the one where they like meet all the famous celebrities. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this is the one where all they get all the big guest stars to come in and yeah. 
and uh, get the comics ratings up for Sweeps Week. Mm-hmm. They get the Robespierre. 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 They get the Emperor Augustus. Yeah, they, they get, get Marco, Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Joshua Abraham Norton. Mm-hmm. Orpheus. Eve. Eve. Eve maybe the, you heard like, of her. Yeah. They got a caliph in here. Mm-hmm. You know? Got some so. crossover with Arabian Nights. Yeah. Bring it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's an it's Baba Yaga's here. I forgot Baba, Baba, Yaga's, Baba, Baba here. Yaga's here for Can't a minute. Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I that kind of helps it hang together a little bit right um in the sense that like what do powerful people dream of or what do these real people dream of how does dream interact with other characters we know and that was sort of what was fun about the previous vignette collection Mm -hmm. where it was like okay how does dream function in these different settings i also i I really like that the when sandman is in the mode of uh, this is this is why this real thing that happened in the real world was all the endlesses. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Here's how gods work because mm-hmm. of dream. Mm-hmm. Let's explain. So if you're reading these in the trade paperback, um, you open with like a super short one called "Fear of Falling." Yeah. Um, which is not one of the like main issues, and then it's it kind of mixes up. Like you're already pulling issues from several places in the series, and then this like reorders them a little bit so as i i was reading them in like publication order so i read 29 30 31 38 39 40 and then 50 which ones are those because i just don't know them by issue number sure yeah um so the ones around the ones that are months are um thermidor yep uh and the uh, augustus one which is august obviously and then uh three septembers in january sure then there's the uh, Song of Orpheus, which is another sort of standalone that picks up on where the Thermidor one left off, because that one was also about yep. Orpheus, the character. Soft Places, uh, The Hunt, yep. and Parliament of Rooks yep. yeah, are yeah, all yeah. sort of themed around people telling each other stories. Yes. Um, so maybe maybe these are the fables, and then some of the other <laughs> ones are the reflections. We're going to be picking out which are the fables and which are the f- reflections as we go. Yeah, it's a and weird... Then it, and then it caps with ramadan but yeah it's like it feels like stories are the through line but also it's kind of thematically more all over the place than some of the other issues i think just because it's pulling from all over the place in the in the publication order yeah because like the previous vignette one had that like he needed a break from doll's house right and he was Mm -hmm. like i just need to i'm tired yeah (laughs) i'm tired i'm neil i'm tired doing about like cats that dream the cat dreams <laughs> yeah and so this is like interesting i guess he's like filling the production order he's kind of just like tossing out ideas where he wants to recharging until he's ready to send morpheus to hell for another arc yes for sure <laughs> um so yeah and just it, yeah interesting that they did not put them in order that's so bizarre yeah, yeah, and and it's I was it was interesting for me to to read them in a different order than I read them when I read the book version because I felt like I think they they each flow but they flow a little bit differently based on which like you know oh yeah yeah um, especially so yeah. especially the one that's 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 months that's like July August September yeah they're in a different order <laughs> they certainly are. <laughs> 
So it opens with Fear of Falling. And like I said, that was like some Vertigo Comics preview issue. It's barely the length of an issue. Like the way that the collection has it, Mm -hmm. you just open the cover and all of a sudden you're in one. Like there's like it's even it's before the introductions. Like it's before Mm -hmm. the foreword by our good friend Gene Wolfe, Andrew. Gene Wolfe. Oh, I love that guy. Wait, how many times did you have to read the... (laughs) introduction before you understood what he was or wasn't trying to talk about it was very confusing (laughs) um but no it's this it's called fear falling um it's got uh you know the lines are by kent williams there's a lot of different art in -hmm. these issues the colors are by sherilyn van valkenberg just different people working on this stuff um, I think even more so than usual because we're jumping around so just like, much. Just like look at this Morpheus, like he's just whoa. very different. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of kind of a beater Morpheus. Yeah, like, when your main Morpheus is in the shop and you need to get a loner <laughs> to, to be in your comic book, um, just a very craggy sort of. He's sort very of guy. craggy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's this guy who's clinging to a cliff, and he's worried about falling. And Morpheus talks to him uh, about this and about mm. what it is to, you know, climb something very big and whether or not it's a mistake to do something scary because you might fall or is it a mistake to never climb at all? I always wonder because of Gaiman and how all his stories are about stories, like how much of is, is this uh, of this is him being like, man, I'm still writing the Sandman thing. Yep. It's getting it's getting pretty big. I don't know. <laughs> still here. Uh, and then, of course, Morpheus is a third way fanatic. Yeah. He says centrist. there is a third, you know, he's really a technocrat at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a third alternative, he says, to falling or succeeding uh, or like falling or climbing. And he and we cut back out of this guy's dream at his play that he is worried is going to fail. It's a play about Typhoid Mary, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, everybody lo- everybody goes nuts for Typhoid Mary. People love her. He says, you know, sometimes you wake up, sometimes the fall in your dream kills you, and sometimes when you fall, you fly. And that's, that's, that's the nice. message. That's a good message. Um, so that one just kind of kicks this one off. It's not related to anything else. I think they must have just been like, well, we've got this Sandman material. We should put it in this book. Yeah, just put it in there somewhere. It's, <laughs> it fits, I guess. This is the most disjointed one, so people will notice this one yep. less if we put it in with all the other ones. Well, it's, it's brevity does like serve as an opener. Um, but sure. then we dive right into three Septembers and a January. Three Septembers and a January, which whips. I like this one a lot. It's very good. Give me the setup, I- Andrew. Uh, there's a so we we are hanging out with despair who have, who we've met before yes I think we've met all we have met there was a big council of all the endless except one one of them who left yes uh, but we've spent at least some time with all these all these folks uh, this is despair's hanging out kind of making a guy despair is what what she does <laughs> yeah that's uh, what she and does she, and she calls on dream to show up uh huh and here we I think this was has been sort of implied in other encounters that these people have had but there is this uh despair gives us this sense of like the hierarchy of the endless where you got like the big three which is a destiny and death and dream yeah and you've got like these lesser ones who are still important i mean they're still the endless but they're not like 
the staples, you know, <laughs> not everybody no. needs uh, delirium or despair or desire all the time. I everybody guess. dreams. Everybody dies. Everybody, everybody hurts sometimes. Has a destiny. Mm-hmm. Everybody plays destiny. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and then like sometimes you despair and sometimes you're delirious and sometimes you desire things and the mm-hmm. other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, this is kind of the we'll get into the pawn of this game here. But it starts with despair and basically a couple of the endless challenge dreams, like, hold on a dude. Yeah. Is kind of like, the arc. Yeah. Here. Well, they're like, dreams aren't, dreams aren't that important. I got this guy. This guy's despairing. That's my whole thing. You can't save him just with a dream. I bet you can't. Desire says you can't. And that usually is a good way to get Dream to, <laughs> <laughs> to perk up because he and Desire do not get along. Uh, but yeah, who's what's the name of this fella? Joshua Abraham Norton, real guy, real person. Oh, was he a real guy? Because I clocked that Mark Twain shows up later. This is this dude is real, Andrew. His Whoa. whole deal is like a thing that did in fact happen. Whoa, okay, that rules. <laughs> <laughs> so dreams like, oh, you'd say I can't can't save this guy from you. He's a failed right. businessman, which is why he's despairing. Which is why he's despairing. And despair is like, man, he is a failed businessman, but he can't even, he cannot even take his own life. What yeah. A, what a loser. <laughs> and you, you can't help him. Um, and so Dream shows up and gets, you know, this guy kind of tells Dream what his whole, what his whole deal is. And yeah. Dream says, I will give you a dream, Joshua. And the next scene is him writing a, he's drafting a proclamation he proclaims himself via the media who prints it because if, yeah. it, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, these, yeah. these jerks, these jokers. Now, he says he's the emperor of the United States now. Huh? <laughs> I believe the language in the book is from the real proclamation that did, in fact. That happen. would not surprise me at all. Um, you know, at the peremptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States... I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and for the past nine t- nine years and ten months of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself Emperor of these United States, and in virtue of the authority in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in Music Hall of this city on the first day of February next, then and there, to make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union mm-hmm. as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stability and integrity. <laughs> and the papers so are like, this guy rules. Yeah, he's, he's, this is the first September of the three Septembers as he has declared himself Emperor of the United States of America. Uh, we flash forward to another September. It's not, it, I think it's pretty close. I don't, is it right in, it's September 1984. How many years is that? 1964. And it's five years after the first. Five years after. Okay. Uh, So we see a sort of sharply dressed feller in a red suit uh, swearing. Kind of going up something that he's written. J. Jonah Jameson energy here. Kind of wants pictures, kind of giving me pictures of Spider-Man vibes, but I don't know if cameras have been. No. no, I mean, certainly not. (laughs) I think cameras have been invented because we have Civil War pictures, right? But they yes. weren't like good cameras. Get get me some daguerreotypes, he yells. <laughs> get me some daguerreotypes of Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, so uh, this this guy, uh, 
who uh, has a, the, who, he has a mustache. Who, yeah, Norton Norton calls him Sam. Yeah. So Sam and Norton are talking. It is clear that Norton is not like nobody is bowing down to him as Emperor of America, but people regard him as friendly and essentially harmless. I think is the is the vibe I get. Correct. Um, they go out to. <laughs> They go out to eat and uh, Norton doesn't want to take charity from Sam, but he does say, hey, I just remembered you haven't paid your imperial taxes this year. It's 50 cents. <laughs> it's a cents. good gag. <laughs> it's a good bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they go and they have a talk and this guy, Sam's, whoa, he's talking to him about it. Some kind of jumping frog. That's weird. Whoa. Uh, and who, which, which of the endless shows up? here to check in on the state of the bet delirium delirium shows up this is a weird little town brother yeah. <laughs> she says she and her little rainbow speech bubbles yep um and she is like she is one of the challenging parties but she also is not totally with it and she's like dimly aware of what's what's going on but she's she has just kind of popped into <laughs> to talk some um and she says of norton he ought to be mine but he isn't is he he's so sane except about being emperor of course and i'm not even sure about that yeah and then uh i think it kind of settles on as she realizes that he's not hers uh he's not mine is he his madness his madness keeps him sane and morpheus says do you think he is the only one my sister mm-hmm and that's that. And then, uh, then Norton is like, "Hey, why don't you write down this story about this frog, Sam? What's <laughs> what's your what's your pen name? Is Mark Twain? Wow, weird. Okay, weird, here you go." <laughs> <laughs> and he makes Samuel Clemens, a newspaper man who also writes under the nom de plume of Mark Twain, is made by a royal appointment, official spinner of tales and teller of stories to these United States of America for the duration of his mortal lifetime. Sure. Norton the first emperor. <laughs> yeah, and. Sam Clemens seems rightly chuffed by that. <laughs> yeah, I would too. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to do that. I do right. like in the next September, somebody calls it Frisco, and the emperor is like, "No, it's <laughs> no, San nobody don't we don't call it Frisco. <laughs> we don't call it that." <laughs> um, uh, so this is the third September, September eighteen seventy-five. Yeah, this one, he winds up in a bar. Where, who is it? Desire resurrects someone from the dead to like mm-hmm. kind of mess with him. This it's guy, the king to make of him, pain, to make him to make him desire something. It's like a weird Mad Hatter Joker. He's boy. awful to look at. He's not. He's not fun to look at. No. Um, before before that happens, you do get a scene of some tourists coming up to oh yeah Norton and being like, "Hey, we heard you give out like script." And he's also there is a uh, somebody from Chinatown who comes and treats him with great deference and talks to him about actual like real problems that are happening. So it's clear that like he's not emperor of America, but fake it till you make it. He's been it's either fake it till you make it or the secret. I'm not sure. It's, it's some combination little of, bit of self-help <laughs> s- stuff, but he has just been calling himself emperor for so long and and carrying himself with this this regal bearing for so long that. He has made it real for some people, even if on some level it's still kind of a joke. But he talks like a little later about um, 
how many of the like local establishments take his script like he's kind yep. of a local celebrity well if, his... if if not the actual recognized emperor of america he is he's a local personality the city council gave him clothes you know he's paying 50 cents a week in rent because they like having him around mm-hmm. um he's kind of a tourist attraction but the, in addition to being the emperor of the United States of in America. In addition, yes. Mm-hmm. But the king of pain is like, yo, I got all these empresses. I got empresses. You want some empresses? You want a castle? You want an heir? You want to be a Maybe? real emperor? And he's kind of offended. He's like, I am an emperor. <laughs> I'm. Uh, it works for me. I'm content. What else could I want? Uh, this is my city in my country. They treat me well here. I want nothing. So just as he... His madness keeps him sane. He also does not desire things because he has everything he needs because he's the emperor of America. Yep. He has his dream and that's all he needs. And mm-hmm. desire is, gets really mad at this man he's raised from the dead. Yep. Uh, and dream is like, hey, that was a weird move. That didn't work out, did it? Yeah. And desire is like, get you next time, Gadget. Yep. About it. <laughs> That's the, yes, that is exactly. It is Saturday morning cartoon. Oh no, Optimus Leave Prime the, took back all the energon cubes or whatever. Yes, rides away, leaving Morpheus in the dust, muttering about how they'll get him next time. Um, and then a really like sad couple of panels. Here's the wh- January where January eighteen eighty. Our boy Norton just like I guess like has a heart attack and dies and in the it. rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's older. It's been another, you know, 16 years or something. He's an old man. It's been, I think, since... Oh, the, since the third uh, one? Yeah, I think it's been like five years. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, like, in the rain, big naked despair comes up and is like, hey, thought you were mine, but you're not. Yeah. You never despaired. Yeah. And despair doesn't quite get what the lesson is supposed to be. No, because <laughs> <laughs> dream... Gives despair like a tchotchke version of Norton as a gift. Yeah, because they sell them in the gift shop. This is the this is again the level of tourist attraction that this man has become in his years as Emperor of the United States. And then we get a nice little uh, death taken taken him away. Yeah, um, I've met a lot of kings and emperors and heads of state in my time, Joshua. I've met them all, and you know something? I think I liked you best. The bit about ten thousand people. Uh, Appearing at his funeral is also purportedly real, according Whoa. to the San Francisco Chronicle. All right. Pop he, off, Frisco. He's a real guy. That's cool. I didn't know he was a real his guy, Wikipedia but I'm, page, I'm utterly unsurprised that he's a real guy. His now Wikipedia page has a section called uh, Rain as Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody ever told him he... I guess there wasn't no rule says he couldn't be emperor of yeah, America. Yeah, he, he declared himself the protector of Mexico when Napoleon invaded Mexico. Yeah, there. I mean, there's nothing... This really, it really lays bare for you how sort of society is an illusion and that we're all just <laughs> we're all just tied together by what we commonly like say to be true i guess yep which uh, is the, why it's a little scary when when a bunch of people disagree on what the character of the truth ki- means i don't know <laughs> the character of the king in huckleberry finn is apparently like loosely based on him that rules um pretty cool 
Yeah. So then the next one I have, Andrew, is Thermidor. Thermidor. Thermidor is like from the French Revolutionary calendar. They yep. used it for like 12 years. Yep. And even one of the characters in this story is like, man, it's so hot here in July. Oh, I mean Thermidor. <laughs> Oops. Whoops. <laughs> oh, like, no. It's a, I think it's the second year of the French Revolutionary calendar. 1794. Uh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Jo- Johanna Johanna Constantine is here. Johanna Constantine is here. Yeah. Doing stuff. Yeah. And remember we met John Constantine yeah. during Morpheus's fetch quest to get all his power-ups back. And then I in think in the very first book. Didn't she show up again in she one showed of up, one yes. of the the Hob what was his name? Hob, Hob Gadling when Hob he, Gadling. when he was drinking with Hob Gadling. Yeah. He sh- she showed up and was like, "Hey, I'd hear the couple of mucky mucks meet here every hundred years and that they're demons yep and, and he needs her to get his son's head back is that right yeah gee well he needs her to do something for him well and it turns out to be that he needs her to get a head and it turns out that the head is of morpheus's son orpheus what a good way to name your son. If you kept having kids, would it be would you keep going down the alphabet, just being like Porpheus, Rufius, yeah, Phius, Hus, Yus, Us, uh, and yeah, he's she's got his she's got his head. Yeah, she does, and she's dealing with kind of the reign of terror. There's you know rough men in the street, um. She's go, you know, hang, trying to hide out from people in power. Some did. Did Robespierre have the head in the first place, and she had to get it? That's like he That's he un- did see. I think so because okay. it, it had definitely been taken from where it normally resides, which is in that little like you know that, that island island yeah. that they end up in at the at the end. So yeah, either he. Either he knew where it was or he like knew of it and heard that she had it and is like, hey, the time of like religion and myths and whatever is at an end. Yes. I can't have this living God head floating around. <laughs> gotta put it in my head basement. With my I gotta throw it in the head pile. <laughs> yep. Um so she winds up like captured by people who work for Robespierre. Yeah, she's captured. She needs a way out. Uh, she appeals to Dream, who makes her drink some like Hawaiian punch that helps her remember the dream. Yeah, I like remember that. Remember, what's, what's that? <laughs> Just making sure in the recolor, is that like waterfall that he's standing in front of there still like red? Oh, yeah. It looks like some sort of Hawaiian punch for okay, sure. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, so, yes, Hawaii. she drinks the Hawaiian punch. She remembers the dream. Um and Orpheus still has powers. Like he was a musical guy, right? Yeah, we'll loved, talk about it. Music. He was a very yeah, musical will. guy. Uh, so they are they are taking her down to the basement to just like kill her, I guess, or torture her. And they end up in the basement where they keep all the heads of all the you know the people. You know they chop off them heads with the the the, the Watsons, the guillotines, and then you got to put the head somewhere. So they got a head basement. They got a head basement. And they take Orpheus's living decapitated head down to the basement. And he starts singing, and all the other heads start singing. Yeah, it's really awful looking. And it ends the reign of terror. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah, it it kind of messes people up a bunch. 
she gets away with the head uh, after punching a guy. Really good, like uh, Indiana Jones esque punching going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Maybe Indiana Jones punches like Joanna Constantine. Mm. You ever think about that? Because mm. this is happening before <laughs> Indiana Jones. Well, the the thing that is happening to these to these men, um, the head has kind of shook them so much that at other points in their life they go to like speak and command and they just like the words are not there. Yeah. Um, and it weakens them and then they are taken down uh, and it, you know, Rose Pierre ends with his, his head coming off. Of course. Yeah. This is like, I think this was my least favorite. Some stuff maybe, just kind of the, happens. Yeah. Like it's the, in the, the pre in three September's in January, it was a lot easier to go blow by blow with everything because, I, partly because it was like three and and a half stories within a story, but um, it was just I I think there was more to grab onto, and then this one is more of just like a little adventure story that ends up weird. I also found the uh, the cursive writing of Joanna Constantine to be like pretty distracting and difficult to read, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> just a little like I I could read it, but it was I think generally the strategy of using like different typefaces and kinds of speech bubbles to denote that different people are talking works really well. But I think with this one, it's just a little too, it's, it's just a little hard. I just hard to read. I don't know. That definitely happened to me yeah. uh, in this one. And also the like Robespierre as a guy who wants the evil magic head because he's creating an age of reason. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's that fine. I know it's going to happen to him. It was not a revelatory creation of Gaiman's as some of his other characters have been. No, and it also feels a little. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I think his "I'm setting up an age of reason" thing feels particularly hollow in a in like smack dab in the middle of this giant book about how all like all mythology is always real all the time. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> or at least it's all been real at like some point and like literally everything is supernatural and his undoing is going to be supernatural. And like, I, I get that that's like thematically resonant or whatever, but I just, I never take him super seriously as yes. a, he's not a threat as a threatening presence. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then it ends with her putting him, his head back on the Island or head. Yep. Uh, and Orpheus. we got a lot of heads to keep track. Of. That's true. The best uh, parts of the entire issue are all the like head wordplay where <laughs> Joanna Constantine's like, well, two heads are better than one. <laughs> uh, and where's the other one? Orpheus is like asking her, like, do you think my dad actually cares about me? Cause he did send you to find me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, doesn't he ever like talk to you? Like, does he come to your dreams? And he's like, Nope, not, not really. Nope. Oops. Sad. Mm-hmm. Did you find the other pun you were looking for? No, it's just it's just something about how somebody says she's going to lose her head and she's like, oh, I'm going to lose two heads. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So that was cool. That was good. Some good head based stuff. So the next one in Fables and Reflections, Andrew, breaks up the months. Yeah. So it's the hunt. It's the one with the with the The werewolves. Grandpa? No, the the Vasily. Yes. Vasily. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. A.K.A. Grandpa. Yes. And Grandpa's telling a story 
to his granddaughter mm-hmm. about the old country. Yeah. Um, and she's like, Grandpa, I just want to watch MTV. <laughs> really? That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> um, and this one is kind of a to- another tone piece. Like, it's this guy out in the woods. There's a old lady that he comes into contact with. And mm-hmm. he gets, like, a trinket. An old Romani woman. Yes. Um and she's got these treasures, and he's not sure if they're real or if they're valueless. Um, yeah, the whole thing is just like him, like secretly being the most virtuous and smart boy who ever lived. <laughs> Even though he he does like eat some people. Yeah, I mean, it happens sometimes. Because she is scared of him when she sees him a little bit, mm-hmm. and she runs away. Yes, something's different about him. Yeah, and there's also like. We'll get to the end, and then we'll talk about like the subtext of, of what's happening. Okay. But, um, uh, what? So he meets uh, Lucian in the in, in the woods. So okay. So this yeah the the Romani lady dies. She's been mauled by something. We don't know what. Yep. At least we don't know what at the beginning of the. Of the yep. Issue. <laughs> um, and then he takes the stuff that was in her pack that she was trying to like trick him with we're led to believe even though all of it ends up being all of it really what she said it was yep Uh, so he meets lucian in the snow lucian's like hey i lost a book and you have it what do you what do you want and he shows lucian that the there was a locket among the things that the romani lady had yep it's just like a a locket with a with a pretty with a lady on it pretty lady on it he's like i want i want the lady and lucian's like (laughs) i "I can't i don't what? I just remember that reading that interaction for the first time being like, that's what this is about. He wants the lady. He wants okay. the lady. And Lucian's like, I don't know if I can get you the lady. <laughs> and he goes, uh, and then grand, grand, uh, flash to granddaughter. Granddaughter says, it all sounds suspiciously postmodern to me, Grandpa. Are you sure this is really a story from the old country? And Grandpa says, listen, blood of my blood, although I'm a hard man to anger and I love you deeply, if you interrupt me again, so help me, I'll rip out your throat with my teeth. Oh. Ooh. Oh. That's a, that's, that's, Grandpa's a little cranky. He's a bit cranky. Yeah. Um, but so then we see him hunting a deer in the woods mm-hmm. and a wolf or something gets it first. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and he meets up with these people in the woods, uh, where he also meets Baba Yaga. Yeah, and they they are of his people. Like yeah. they don't kick him out or whatever. Yep, like yep. he doesn't. Yeah, He's he meets Baba, Baba Yaga with her like chicken leg house. Yeah, chicken house. <laughs> chicken. House. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she helps him get to the Duke's palace in yeah, a big and, pot, <laughs> and he gives her like a a crystal heart thing. That's like, I'm sure it's important to Baba Yaga, but it's not important to the story. So whatever. It's just important <laughs> that, it, that it's real. Yeah, it's real. It's a real thing that, that we thought was a fake thing, but it really, it's a real thing. Yep. Because this is like, oh, you're telling me this fantastical story from the old country. Uh, also, I'm here to tell you that it was real. Probably. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes in there and he's going to get the woman and the Duke is like, nah, I'm going to lock you in jail. He was like, yeah, just come with me. I'll I'll take you to the lady. And instead he takes Vasily down to a dungeon. If someone is like, I need to see the lady upstairs. And the guy's like, actually, she's down in the basement. Don't go down to the basement. Yeah, don't go out of the basement. Stay out of the basement. 
Just take a out. take a page out of Goosebumps book and stay out of the stay basement. Stay out of the basement. But Lucian's down there. Yeah. Somehow. Well, he come he comes back and he's like, "Man, I really want this book. Are you sure that you <laughs> like you seem pretty <laughs> you seem pretty desperate to not be trapped in this basement anymore? Can I can can we maybe like haggle over this a little bit?" And so they go to the dreaming and Morph is like, "You're you bringing more people home." <laughs> Okay. Yeah, Lucian does not want Morpheus to see that he's bringing people through the dreaming, but he does. Uh, and we Morpheus get a, we Justin's get a, just like a little like little frocky thing around yeah. his, around his chin. I always like when we get some period clothes for for Morpheus. Yes, I dig it. Um, there's um, one of the, there's one of those periods other up. than the the late 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see the book, which is a, a almost an imagined sequel to Doctor Faustus. The yes. Mary and comedy, and we've seen, <laughs> and we've seen Lucian's library before, so we know it has all these books that authors like wrote in their dreams but never got around to in real life. Yes, um, so Morpheus takes him to see the lady. They wake up the lady. And He's like, "Hey, I got your locket." That's it. Like and then they, they leave, <laughs> and that's that's one that's one of the big fake outs. Yeah, is he didn't want to like marry the lady or like smooch her or whatever. You just want to give her back her locket. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to the dreaming and he, uh, has some stuff to drink and eat some sherbet. Yeah. Uh, and then he's back in the woods and then he turns and then he turns into a wolf and recognizes another wolf and they are into each other. And it's that woman he met before. Yep. And I like the end. Because he's like, well, why didn't you? T- I should have just. She's like, I should have just watched TV. You're just making it's like, stuff up. This story's kind of sexist, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he says, I wish you could have known your grandmother. She was an amazing woman. She knew the value of things, but she never let me forget that she had beaten me to the deer. And she's like, what? And he's like, see you later. So like yeah, the the there are like three head fakes in this story. The first first head fake is that I think you're meant to be reading them as Jewish up until the werewolf reveal happens. Yes, because they're all talking about like the people and well yeah, and I don't know that he's that's... talking, he's speaking with the cadence of like a well <laughs> of like a, a stereotypical Jewish grandfather from the old country. You know, I mean, I don't know that those are mutually exclusive. No, but it is it is certainly modeled on a. I am a Jewish immigrant here in the States. Let me tell you about the old country. Like when Baba Yaga is flying him over the villages, there's a little bubble that talks about like below them, Jews were burned in their houses and gypsies were beaten to death. Nightbirds screamed and owls hooted and wolves howled. So there's this kind of like, we are from a different place. Our people were not welcome there. We're treated very poorly. Yeah. And this is one of our stories. This is my story. Mm hmm. Um, but then also, yeah, he's a werewolf. <laughs> but then also, he's a werewolf. Um. <laughs> Just fun. Why not? The next one I have is August. Yes. So then we then we get the third the third month one. We're going back into the months, even though it's the second of the of the three month related stories. It's coming in last. And this is the st- a story about the Emperor Augustus. He's very old and a little. Guy named Lysias, who's an mm-hmm. actor, mm-hmm. the dwarf Lysias, who mm-hmm. is gonna put some soap and crap on his face and He's make been, him 
look even older he, and messed up. He has been summoned to the Emperor Augustus's residence. And Augustus hates actors. He really does not like actors at all. But yep. he needs the talents of an actor because he will be an actor today. Today. And they rub gross, stinky soap all over themselves. And they like stain it with vinegar. And they all they just look like they have skin lesions. And they're going to yep. go out into the streets of Rome in disguise and like beg for money. Yep. And just and just think. Augustus I, is there. To, uh, Augustus is there to think. Lysias is there to be like, what's going on? <laughs> the what fact I, that, it, that, that it was a story about sitting and thinking and talking threw me for a loop. I expected there to be more like moving amongst the people, mm-hmm. learning from the people. And no, it is really That's just not Augustus. That's not what it's about. Yeah needs to not be Augustus for a while so he mm-hmm. can just talk through some stuff. I think this is... I would definitely categorize this as a reflection. Rather than a fable. The, la- the werewolf one was a fable. This one's a reflection. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, what do you think of Emperor of America? Fable or reflection? I think that's a fable. Okay, it's a little bit of a fable. I mean, it's real good. It's fabulous. Yeah, for sure. He, yes, he was a fabulist. Thermidor? Maybe that's why I don't like it so much. It's just kind of a little adventure story in the middle of all my fables and my reflections. <laughs> well, how'd this one get in here? <laughs> I don't know. You open up like a board game you haven't touched in 10 years and there's like a different... It's like, why is there a little clue guy in here? Yeah. <laughs> this is Monopoly. <laughs> so this, I mean, this is a fun little thing. I don't, I don't know that we need to go blow by blow on his like thoughts... No, I, I like this one a lot because it's because I am the most familiar with it. Like, if, maybe if I knew a bunch about the French Revolution, I would have liked all the Rotier <laughs> stuff a little bit more. But I, no, I don't know. I don't know that that would improve. This that, goes a lot into um, the relationship between like Augustus and Julius Caesar, who was like his uncle, but then adopted him as his son. Yep. Um, and Augustus basically like the they talk for a long time. And it's not Augustus like going among the people to like learn what life is like among the people. It's him going to be a beggar. So like the gods stop paying attention to him so that he can think about how he wants to play like the last phase of his life. Yes. And there's some like back and forth about like what the gods are and that when emperors die slash ascend, like they become a god and it's like, the people talking about the emperor is what kind of makes them into a god. And then Augustus is like, yo, also, I think that there are some other people that even the gods can't deal with. Um, we, It's not an endless, but and it's not a god. We, What is the one that deals with boundaries? Who is that? That's one of the, like, they mentioned that character. Oh, um, off the top of my head, I don't remember. It begins with a T or T. Oh, boy. It's somebody. I'll, I'll keep scrolling. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm a powerful guy, and I was related to this other powerful guy who kind of sucked to me personally. We'll talk about that. And, like, my empire is pretty great, but... I'm almost done, and I'm not sure what is next for this. Terminus. 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 Yes, he who yes. walks the boundaries. He who walks the boundaries. Um, and all the all the while, the like the 
people in the street are moving by them. People are pissing on walls. You know, people, people are, are just like ignoring them. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, and he talks about how he saw two futures for Rome, Andrew. Mm-hmm. One where it sputtered and flared and went away after a few hundred years. And one where it became the whole world and just grew until there was nothing left. And he knows and he knows how to attain this. And the way for Rome to flourish forever is for it to never ever stop growing. Like he he knows the one thing that he needs to do to make one the empire weird endure. And it's you know, it is it is Gaiman like working backwards from what happened to To like, a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so the the end of the story is I mean we we get like all through the the story we've been getting these little snippets of Augustus like as a boy and and his bad relationship with Julius Caesar who he like got everything from and was intimidated by and who he respected but also who he hated um and Julius Caesar would just like come in to his bedroom at night and as a as a well, while he was 16 and just like sexually assault him, which yep. cool. Yep. Um, that one, I don't like, I think we're, we're pretty sure that Julius Caesar was like epileptic. I'm not sure if there's like, I would not be surprised at all if there were like rumors in some text that this has happened. I don't know that this is as like explicitly a thing reported in the history that we have. Sure. Yep. Um, but it's, it's a, but it's one of those things where Gaiman takes like, something that's a little fuzzy and puts in something that he thinks works for the story that he's, he's yeah. trying to create. Well, cause he, and um, cause Augustus t- tells, um, I see it's about a dream he had where, where he's having this recurring dream and instead somebody else shows up and it's Morpheus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like, I'm here as a favor to a God. And he later says it's terminus. He's who walks the boundaries. And he's like, I have a way out of your, dilemma here and i is the dilemma what to do with the emp is it that what to do with his baggage about caesar i think all the, of the, the above i think the i mean it, it it might be about other things too i think the dilemma was the empire because the yeah. decision because you get to the end and it's lyceus as an old man writing you know he, he was told by augustus never to tell anybody about this day that they spent oh yeah together chatting and hanging out and he never did. But now he's getting to the end of his life. He's like, okay, I'm going to write this, this incredible true story that happened to me. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how Augustus's will set the bounds of the empire forbade any further expansion. So it was set up earlier as a choice. Like Rome can sputter out after a few hundred years as it did. Um, or it can expand forever and live forever. Yeah. Um, and so he decided not to, let it expand forever and live forever. And also appointed people who we arguably knew would not be good, good like stewards of the empire to be its leaders. Um, I think like a lot of, a lot of newer scholarship sort of debates the idea that like all the people who followed Augustus were just like universally terrible, but I think like popularly or sure, to, to sure, the extent sure. that it's important, they were all commonly held to be terrible. In his will, Augustus also appointed Tiberius as his, as his successor. Our divine rulers have since then been successively evil, mad, foolish, and now all three. So he's writing 
as Nero is getting mm. ready to do his whole his whole thing. Mm. He's a little fiddling, little fiddle show. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. And yeah, that's it. It was, was like, dream- I, don't, it was, I, don't, I don't know what Augustus' secret is. I guess I'll take it, take it to the grave. It was Dream's idea to do the one day a year as a beggar so that you can think. Yeah. And, and but, come to this conclusion. So yeah, like Augustus said, the empire's not going to expand anymore. But then Dream also is there on like behalf of Terminus. And yeah, if the whole world is the Roman Empire, then... Maybe there aren't any borders anymore, so maybe this is like a self-interested play on Dennis's part. I don't know. Let's get so then I think that might be why in this collection the next story is soft places. Soft places. Mm, And so our our thinking about uh, going to new parts of the world and exploring and whatever. So this is a story about Marco Polo lost in a desert, and he comes to meet. Rusticello of Pisa and our Delicious. friend. Uh, not pizza. Pisa, excuse well, me. Well, I was also thinking Rusticello sounds like oh, it would be sure. great with some pesto sauce. Um, and our old friend Fiddler's Green from The Dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude looks like Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know yeah, if that's intentional. Yes. But. Well, here's the thing. It's been a while since I read a part of the salmon that mentioned Fiddler's Green. <laughs> so I was just kind of waiting. <laughs> And be like, oh, what's up, Teddy Roosevelt? Well, here's Teddy Roosevelt. I'm going to talk about. Have you heard about the bear, the bull moose party, or well, whatever? Well, and then, there mm-hmm. there are a bunch of like ghosts that ride around on horses. I was like, are these the Rough Riders? Yeah, like, what's the Rough Riders? Um, but this whole story is basically, oh, this desert is what Fiddler's Green kind of refers to as a soft place where. The real world and the dreaming and other things kind of collide. Yeah, partly because the entire world has not been like mapped out yep. super extensively. Yep. And so, like, people in their dreams can encounter one another in these spaces because they're not real spaces yet fully. And they're not supposed to be able to get out. No. But Fiddler's Green, I think says, you know, there used to be more soft places and partly because of people like you. Marco Polo. yeah, Marco Polo, the explorers, the people who mapped out everything. There are fewer places for the dreaming to like hide in the real world. Yep. Yep. Um, And that also is all it's there's some timey wimey stuff going on here. Like Fiddler's Green is um, like so in the events of the comic book, The Sandman, (laughs) this story is happening like just after Dream is like freed from Correct. his prison at the yep. beginning of the book. Yep. Um, so a little bit before uh, we meet uh, Fiddler's Green in Doll's house. Yeah. But while he's still on his like room springer because <laughs> the dreaming has been abandoned. Yeah. He's hanging out. But here. then Marco, but Marco Polo and uh, Rusticelli, whatever his name is. Yeah, Rusticelli. Uh, <laughs> they're not contemporaries. They're no, like, they're not. They're not contemporaries, and they're they're people from the past. But they're all just like hanging out together around the fire because the soft place encompasses like the softness of space and also of time. I, I think guess? it's because they're both dreaming, and like mm-hmm. they go back and forth, like claiming that the other person is the is their dream. Like, oh, I'm dreaming of Marco Polo, or you're dreaming of me, but you never met me, Marco Polo. That doesn't make any sense, which is Rusticello's argument. <laughs> um, and what that's what I like the most about this 
little one, even though it's kind of like it's here to deliver this concept of the soft place. That's there's yeah. no nothing else really of import happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that it, the explanation for it being kind of timey wimey is that like the dreaming doesn't care about time the same way the real world does. And so people of different eras, if they're both dreaming, then they can interact. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee, but mm-hmm. it's possible. Um, and yeah, Morpheus shows up and Marco Polo gives him some water, makes him feel good. Now, this is a very, so we talked about that sort of busted craggy dream earlier. Yeah. This is a very <laughs> sort of sleek. Oh yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. Kind very, of a night like, king. Statuesque sort of. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> The uh, John Watkiss, I think, did the did the lines for this. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just very different. It's a very I mean, different and he's look. look. I mean, he's looking very cut for having just escaped prison. But Marco Polo gives him some water, and Dream is like, you know, this I you did me a solid when I was in when I was in need, yep. even though you, without me asking, and you didn't need to do that, and so. I will do you solid this once and let you leave the soft place and go back to the real world. Yep. And he goes back to the desert where I guess his dad or, and his friends were there to get him. Yeah. And that's it. And he maps a bunch of stuff, I guess. Yep. Marco Polo. Uh, and then we get Song of Orpheus, mm-hmm. which is, as I said before, this thing called the Sandman Special is kind of this different issue out of sequence. Because I would have said that the Sandman special is like trapping you in a yeah in his like desk drawer of like weird gugas with like the Corinthian and all the yep. all that other stuff. But no, Sandman special is a special issue of the graphic novel, the Sandman. Yes, um, we're in we're in Greek myth, and you know you're in Greek myth because it opens up with some wine dark sea stuff. Yeah, it does. Love that. Love that. Yep. Can't believe you you broke that out right at the beginning instead of making us wait for it. <laughs> Play the hits. Um, well, and it's, you know, opens. This is like a retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Yes. With some extra endless sauce on top. Yes. You know, um, we've heard in the previous issue in this collection that Morpheus is Orpheus's dad. Not confusing mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um and he comes into his dream, and he's like, hey, some stuff's going to happen. Uh, it's your wedding day. Yeah, time to get married. Um, what could go wrong? What could go wrong, indeed? Uh, he dreams about his being married, and then he goes, and his mom... He collides. also dreams about being just, like, floating in the ocean mm. with only his head of Only his head. Mm. Uh. So then he's gonna he's talking to his mom Calliope. There's he's talking to his creepy friend Aristeus, his satyr friend, yeah, his creepy yeah. satyr friend who just like looks evil from the very the exact moment that you lay eyes on what his face looks like. Bad he vibes. just does not look like a good guy. Yeah. Would not stay friends with him. No. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the endless show up to celebrate his wedding. Yeah, everybody's they're, very. Happy. They're all there, right? Yeah, everybody's here. One, two, three, four, five, six, and death, and Seth. the dream. Destruction is the guy. Yes. No, no, no. I was looking at the page that has the six of them. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, this is destruction. Olath- Olathros. And then we also see, um, yeah, his. so his mom is 
if you remember that Calliope, yeah, yeah, Calliope, that that one-off issue where the guy, where the crappy author had the muse trapped in his attic, yeah. Yep. So that is that is who she is to to Morpheus is the mother of Orpheus. Yeah, I don't know. And the, like, did she name decide to name him? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's I do like the little the part where Orpheus is like, "Hey, Uncle Destiny." Aren't you gonna? Aren't you gonna wish us well? And he's like, "I am destiny. I do not wish. I know what happens." <laughs> he seems like a fun guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're having their wedding party, and Orpheus doesn't like to dance. He just likes to play all the music and watch people dance. Well, I want to. We don't want to. So we, you know, we go through all the endless again. I don't yep. want to skip that. This is the first time that we've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the prodigal, the one who left destruction. He was just like a big, a big beardy bear of a boy. Yep. Who for someone named many, it's most of the other endless, like their, their aspect kind of matches with them. Uh huh. Destruction seems like, you know, he seems like a, he seems very intimidating in some yes. sequences. Like I'm thinking of the one on page seven, this on it's page 17 on, on what I read. Um, but it's like him outlined in black with his big helmet on, just like looking real creepy at Orpheus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very intimidating. But then he takes it off, and he looks like that guy from Game of Thrones who was in the credit card ads. <laughs> yeah, and he seems like he just has like a cool, like he a does, chill uncle vibe. He does not have the same pale complexion either that mm. most of the other endless have. It seems like he has a certain. Zest for life for somebody whose job is to destroy everything. Yeah. Um, a real joie de cleavre. Um, Whoa. Because he got a big axe? Yeah, no, I know. I like it. Okay. Um, so we get well, to the wedding. <laughs> Why are you looking at his axe? <laughs> oh. Uh, and uh, what? Oh, the satyr guy is like, hey, Eurydice, why don't you come dance with me? Because your husband don't dance. And he lures her away. Yeah. And he's drunk. And he, because he looked like a creep, like right from the start, instantly is evil. And nobody's surprised because he looked evil and then he is evil. And she runs away from him and gets bit by a snake and dies. Uh-oh. Sad. She's got like a Bride of Frankenstein thing going on with her hair, too. Like, it's very spooky. It is spooky. Mm-hmm. And, of course, death has to come deal with her nephew's dead wife. Which is sad for her to do her job. Yeah. Uh, and then chapter two, he did not go to the funeral, and he's because he's so sad. He's, he's so such a sad. sad. He's a sad boy with his harp and his singing. Just a very emo, very emo boy. And yes, yes it's a very sad thing that happened. But and so Orpheus he... has big, <laughs> big, big. What's the oh, just big sad band, sad nineties band like, energy? Like hey there, Delilah. Why did yeah. you get bit by a snake while mm-hmm. you were running away from a satyr? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll see you in Hades kind of mm-hmm. energy. Um, What's the band I'm thinking of? My, he, he has big My Chemical Romance energy. <laughs> so one of the reasons I like this story. My, my Mythical Romance. <laughs> there, is a, there is a retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth by a playwright named Sarah Rule from like, I think that plays from the like 2000s. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a number of times. It's one of my favorite plays. And so just, anything that she did that's similar to this, she stole from 
No. She stole from Neil Gaiman. <laughs> no. Unless um, she stole it from unless she stole it from from a Greek myth. She did There's steal a Simpsons it all from bit Greek where myth. Krusty's talking to somebody and he's like, unless you're Steve Allen, you're stealing my bit. <laughs> <laughs> the the what I just wanted to share there is that hey, it's a beautiful play. You should go see it if you get a chance. Mm-hmm. Um the the Orpheus does at least from when it was written, most of the productions I saw, he did kind of have scrawny, emo, but like elevated artist energy. Mm-hmm. Like he's the one of the sleight of hands that that play has to do is like, like you kind of have to make the music. You do have to hear the music. So you have to make the music feel supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he needs to be kind of an edgy poet boy, but Anyway, the edgy poet, edgy poet boy here goes to his dream dad and is like, hey, dream dad, can you help me go get her back? Well, she first, the, the, the three guardians who yep. guard like Morpheus's palace is like, hey, really sorry that your wife died. And Morpheus is like, shut, shut up. up. I, don't, I don't need you to I don't need you to pity me. <laughs> yeah. That's man. He's such a little brat here. Um, and dream won't help him. And he's and then so Morpheus is like, well, then I'm not your son. Big oof. Jeez. Awful. Jeez. And so he runs to his uncle. <laughs> runs to his uncle destruction. You know, I think he learned being like aloof and emotional from watching his dad, though. Well, I learned I think, it from watching you. Yeah. So talks to his uncle a little bit about it, about the problem. Um, and he's like, well, there's a few things you could do. You, The thing that really threw me for a loop He's like, your aunt, referred to in this text as Telut, which is yeah. death. Yeah. He's like, you you go talk to her. She could get you down there. Uh, there's a few ways to do it. You could die. Uh, you could be born, he says. But you people never remember that particular conversation with her. I don't know why <laughs> not. You just don't. Mm-hmm. Which I do kind of love that. It's kind of an expansion of what death is there to do, which is to like usher us in and out of existence. And yeah, kind of a guide, and like like a guide who will meet you at the beginning and end of the yeah, tour. She kind of like she that. meets you I at the beginning like and end of your life. I also like the destruction speech bubbles. Like all the endless have a speech bubble thing, except for <laughs> death. Pretty much, his yeah. speech bubbles are just like bold. Got just they just got bold. big. They just got bold outlines. <laughs> He's yell. He is that guy from Game of Thrones. That guy. Mm-hmm. That guy stole that from this. He stole his whole deal. <laughs> um, he's like, you just go to her house, and he like blows up a mountain. He's like, go through there. That's <laughs> yeah. And her house looks like a like a basically an early '90s apartment. Yep. And he's very with her confused. leggings on the floor and her weird lamp with and a bunch of light bulbs fish. and her fish. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, fine. I'll look like how you want me to look. And You think death likes goldfish because they die so often? <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's possible. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, wait, you wanted me to look like Tim this, Burton? This happens a couple times with death where they're like, hey, could you like, could you put on <laughs> different clothes? Could you be that, death? Yeah. Could you just like seem like you are more Grim Reapery a little bit? Yeah. So and then that's when she puts on the like full fingertip to head to toe like leather dress. Yep, <laughs> black leather dress in like some sort of you know Beetlejuice hellscape. 
Mm-hmm. Just some um, like a lot of, lot of the endless or sort of ripe for cosplay, but this this dress is was made for the the cosplayers. You're going to the con as death. Yes, mm-hmm. it's the. I mean, but she's also got the onk, so it's like kind of yeah. unites. The I look. mean, like a black tank top and black like black distressed jeans is an easier outfit to pull off. But if you really want to, yeah, want it to look like you put a lot of effort into it, then you do the the floor length black leather dress. <laughs> So she does tell him where he can go to get in there, but she's also like, please don't do it. Go mm-hmm. home. And he goes. Uh, he goes to Tanarum, where there's an extra little cave. Mm-hmm. It takes him down to the ferryman. Yep, goes down. Now we've, we've seen like Christian Hell represented in this before, but now we're down in like Dante, Dante Land. Yeah, Dante's the Hell. underworld. Yeah. Um, from Homer and whatnot. There's Cerberus is there. Doe. The ferryman is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets in front of uh, Hades and Persephone. Yep. And they're from very the game, big. From the game Hades. Yep. They're very big people. Yeah. And they're like, hey, uh, you got a song? And he sings a beautiful song. And then he sings the most lovely yep. dashboard confessional yep. <laughs> song to them to prove how sad he is. That it moves everyone in the underworld to tears. All of the forms of torture stop happening because everyone is so moved. Mm-hmm. Um, the Furies even weep. And... Uh, He's like, give me my bride and I'll leave. And Hades like, well, there are always rules. So you walk out. Don't look back. Yeah. And she'll be there. Mm-hmm. And he. And of course, it's the first, like literally the first thing he does. I mean, he walks for a no, while. He walks but away. He walks away and he, he walks for daylight. a while. And then he turns around like at the last possible. Just like. Is this like that marshmallow experience? I don't know. Like, what's the well? So, what's the psychological like the thing beat that this here, is? Which I like, and I I don't know. I've never read. I haven't read the source material. I haven't gone back mm. to the whatever. Like a classic. Haven't gone just, and like you heard the oral, his like retelling of yeah. the of the myths. Yeah, in um, Greek. But this, so in the in the play that I was referencing earlier, because it's from Eurydice's perspective and it's very fun and modern, like there's this like it kind of it's anachronistic, really, and like she calls out to him because she's and there's a lot you can unpack about that moment based on who she is in that play, and there's like a lot of options for why she might do that. The way it's written here, he gets to the end, and as the hours pass, the conviction grew that he was alone. That there was no one behind him. He remembered Hades' laugh as he walked in the silence. He knew he was alone. He was the butt of J- of Hades' joke. So he looks back. So I think there's a through line here from Orpheus feeling, you know, disconnected from his dad. And then he's dealing with these other powerful mythic figures. And he feels like everyone just has it out for him and that he's connected to no one. He's also just a little emo weenie. Well, he which also, is, which as yeah. we've been, as we've been, <laughs> as we've encountered throughout the story. He could have, he could have more than one feeling and have yes. them all be valid. Yeah. And he, he listen, he feels them a lot. And he turns around and she was there. Mm-hmm. And then she, of course, gets pulled back. 
And, and then he gives us a big, a big no, a big Darth like, Vader. like, yeah, he's yeah. like, he stole it from uh, Star Wars Episode Three: yep. Revenge of the Sith. Yep. Um, and Attack so, Attack of the Sith, Revenge of the Revenge Sith. of the Sith, Attack of the Clones. Ah, yes. Um, because they attack. Remember? Yes. At the end, I remember when the clones attack. When Yoda is in charge of the clones, <laughs> but um, they also, but they also attack like somewhat famously. <laughs> they also attack in the third one. <laughs> Like even more devastatingly, the clones attack in that yeah, one. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not yeah, sure what the Sith were getting revenge for. I just the people didn't like them. Well, people didn't let them sit at the cool Jedi table. Yeah, in the Jedi cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sad Orpheus is there. His mom is like, "Hey, you're kind of wasting away. You don't want anything right anymore. Now, what's up? You gotta fix it." And he's mm-hmm. like, "Nah, I'm mm-hmm. good." I've got a death wish now. And the bloody Bacchanai ladies show up. Yeah, they show up and tear his whole they tear his whole body apart. If you Which I think it was alluded gone. to I think it was alluded to in the Joanna Constantine story. Yes, it was. Yeah. They they tear him limb from limb and head from neck <laughs> yep. and throw his head into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody knows there's no good meat on the head. Nope. It's just all bone. Bone yeah. and brains. Um, and then there's a little epilogue where Morpheus says goodbye to his son's head mm-hmm. and leaves him on the island. And that's it. It's kind of sad. Yeah. And Morpheus in true. So a little bit of the thread, like like part of the big story that Sandman is telling about Morpheus. Sure. Is you've kind of got pre-capture like Old Testament Morpheus. Okay, who sure. His, yes. Who locks somebody in hell for 10,000 years for for not saying that she loved him or whatever. And Leave your because s- dead son's it, head on a beach. Yes, because, because Orpheus said, I'm not your son in a moment of of a grief driven peak, I guess. Yeah. Like it is peak, but his wife had just died. Yeah. <laughs> um, Morpheus is like, well, I mean, you said you weren't my son, so bye. Yep, forever. And leaves. Bye forever. Grudge holding Morpheus. Grudge holding Morpheus. And, and and Morpheus still, like, in his way, kind of cares about him a little bit because he sent Joanna Constantine to, like, get his head back in the first place. But it's still not a, it's not a, Morpheus doesn't go to do it himself. No. And maybe that's not his, that's he says not. He says he can't. I mean, but... Morpheus doesn't work, like, directly a lot of the time anyway, but you know, the reason, the reason he can't is cause he doesn't want to go back on something he said, which is, I will not see you again. That's true. Yeah. He doesn't like to take his, take, eat his own words. Um, yeah. Okay. So then the, the more, the arc maybe that I'm in for here is post imprisonment Morpheus post losing his powers. Morpheus maybe, has some changes yeah like you you see and you've already seen some of them and it's and it's a little i i'm trying to take what you said about feeling a little and maybe that that part will be in the episode maybe it won't you mentioned feeling a little like unmoored in it just like relative to me because i'd read it before yeah and it is because there's a lot of like there's a lot of time jumping there's a lot like it is harder to see where you're going before you get to the end and it makes um, but, it makes sense given how long he was telling this story to like yeah I, I'm not trying to say that like I expect I I'm 
disappointed with it not being just a linear tale of a dude getting more powers every like that was you can't do that every mm-hmm. issue no no um, there can only be so many like pieces of heart that you could get back before yes. you got them all <laughs> i think i wasn't not knowing really anything about what the story was going to be i think i was surprised i've been surprised that it isn't even something as which is obviously it's much shorter um like Watchmen has it has sure. some of those yeah. like you go off and see this story you go off and see that story but there is more of a like a driving a few characters are ma- actively making a thing happen yes. on the page yeah. mm-hmm. um, where you, where this is like way you, more oblique you read it and you're like well this this version of Morpheus seems awful vengeful and sort sort of nasty and and it's only sort of in retrospect that you think, oh, this is not maybe the same Orpheus that like got captured and then wanted to go talk to Hobgadling about how yeah. they were how they were friends. Yeah. This is not this is not a version of Dream who has a lot of friends. No, true. true. And the this the other version of Dream has at least one friend <laughs> that we've seen. <laughs> um Okay, so we got Parliament of Rooks. We got two more. Parliament of Rooks. Oh god. Okay, we got a book cuz we've been going for a while. But I know but these are all so like so many of them are so dense. It's not it's Yeah. It makes sense that we've been going for a while, but oof. Parliament okay. of Rooks is about Daniel Hall who Man, is I like this one too. Damn it. The okay. kid, this, the kid of Hippolyta Hall um who we met in Doll's house cuz that yes. guy uh well, yeah, because we met her because like that guy was the, pretending to be Sandman. Well, he wasn't pretending to be Sandman. He was one of the like yes. earlier DC Sandmen. That the, he was Gaiman a Sand, was, like, he was a small Santa Claus Sandman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and I, I will say, so if you're thinking about, okay, what what which stories are going to factor in later that you I need to bank in my head to like talk about specifically? He's come aren't. up multiple times, this little yeah, boy. Like, yeah, Um because Generally, he wasn't he was you, born in there, wasn't he? Isn't that like yeah? A he weird was born. Thing? He was born in the dreaming, and and dream has Morpheus has said, you know, I'm gonna come back for him someday. Yeah, but not not now, but like someday. Yeah, <laughs> but usually, if you are seeing a character that you've seen before at this point in the story, it's because they're gonna like end up being important later in some. Sure. Way. Yeah. I mean, that um, makes sense. So this story, this story, we'd we'd see some more. We get a lot more of Matthew. We get Eve, who I don't remember if we've seen. I don't know Much if we have up to now. Like certainly, she's not been like a speaking character who's been yep. the doing focus stuff. Of anything. Uh, we see Cain and Abel again. Yep. And uh, Goldie, the little gargoyle, gargoyle, baby gargoyle. And is there one more? Or is that it? I think that's, that's it. Yeah, we like we hear about other people, but I yes. think those are all the people. That yeah, are Ma- there. Matthew, Eve, Cain and Abel. I'm just I was trying to remember all the people who tell stories because this yep. is all about hey, we're all hanging out. Uh, Daniel's here. In the dream, what? yeah, you got y'all are storytellers. Let's tell some stories. Yep. Um, and there's a bunch of different ones that we get. I don't know. It's like at first, it's just everybody like excited to see the baby. <laughs> yeah, except Kane, who hates everything. Well, because yeah, because he sucks. <laughs> the guy <laughs> stinks. So okay, Kane tells a story about the Parliament of Rooks. Yep. About how that for reasons that nobody knows. One rook will get in the middle of a bunch of other rooks, and he'll like squawk and squawk, and all the other ones will look at that, look at him. And then at the end, after hearing some signal that again nobody really knows about, 
Uh, on some signal, which human observers have been unable to identify, either the birds take wing as one, leaving the lone rook alone in the field, or again as one, they fall on the bird and peck it to death. That's what happens. <laughs> Why, says Matthew. It's a mystery, isn't it? <laughs> so then there's a story about Adam and the three wives. Because mm-hmm. Oh, because Cain says everybody has one story. Like, everybody's got their thing that if you're like all right tell me a story what do you got mm-hmm. like everybody's got their story mm-hmm. um and it's about first it's uh when god created man it was you know uh, uh like adam as a hermaphrodite giant <laughs> then split into with like you know four legs and four arms and all sorts of stuff and then uh adam and lilith and Lilith was this like powerful lady that had to be expelled because yeah, she because was too she was cool. she because yeah, she was too awesome and she like she had sex too good with yep. Adam I guess uh huh um well like yeah, she these wanted are, these to are... have sex which was too much for God I guess yeah yeah and we all, well, I don't know God doesn't go in for that nope uh so then God makes another like nameless woman but out he... of bone and God like. <laughs> I feel like God's just seen this one coming. Yep. He's like, "All right, I'm going to make you a new bride. Can I just like do it in front of you from the inside out?" And Adam is like, "That's a real boner killer, dude. I don't I'm not into <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this lady's like sinews and her eyeballs. Like I'm not into it." And Matthew's like, "What happened to her?" And Eve is just like, "Some say God destroyed her." A few claimed that she was permitted to leave the garden alone. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he took the he took the rib out of Adam. Well, and first made. he puts Adam to sleep and takes yeah. his rib and makes Eve. Yeah. And I don't know if taking his rib is meant to be like, well, Lilith was all you and you seem to like her, but she was too much for me. So what if I took a little bit of you and made another woman? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I feel I'm like good if, at if doing put, it from bone. If you just put Adam to sleep in the first place instead of like, yes, making a slim good body in front of him, that's not a reference anybody's gonna understand. I <laughs> do, I get it. <laughs> I think it would have been fine in the first place, but no, you gotta take the rib. Yep. And then they then they do the eating the apple thing. They get uh, they get banished because of. Uh, because of because God is scared, basically Eve says, uh, yeah. scared that having disobeyed him once, they disobey him again. They'd eat of the tree of life and live forever, like God's endless, yep, endless. Hmm, interesting. Um, oh, well, I, I like the the idea that like the ultimate disobedience would be that they would become immortal. And yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. So, um, that's Eve's story. And then Cain tells, I love the art in this so much. The like. Endless Babies, Jim Henson's Endless it, Babies. Oh, is this Abel's story? Yes, a, sorry, Abel's story, yes. Yes. This is Endless, this is Endless Babies. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he's like, oh, I want to tell a children's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about how Dream and Death, as little chibi versions of themselves, <laughs> when they were children, um, they saw Cain and Abel fighting, and they rescued Abel. Who I guess maybe had died. I, well, so yes, Abel Abel had died because Cain slew him yeah. famously. Yes. Um, oh, you're right. Then, That's in the book. Yes, yes. That part. And then and then death comes for him. And then Dream is like, 
hey, maybe instead of going with her, could you come with me? Yeah. Because I could, I could give you a job. You could tell stories. You could tell, yeah, you could tell stories. And then so he does it. He's in a little house. And then Abel, but Abel is lonely and he goes up to dream in his, again, this is all you see, like the little, the guardians, like illustrated as little like storybook. Yep. It's really cute. Like a storybook dragon. And, and um, he goes up to baby Morpheus and says, hey, I'm lonely. And baby Morpheus says, okay, I'll, I'll get you somebody to hang out with. And then uh, his brother Cain is there and they're both so happy to see each other and they hug. And, Could and they live not next have gotten anyone else. And they lived next door from that day to this happily ever after. And, and Cain or Abel, Abel just says, this is, this is a story and I can tell it how I want to. This is, <laughs> this is how he wants to get along with his brother. Yep. And I think Cain is like a little mad that it isn't that way. Cain is very interesting to me. Yeah. He's, he, he just kind of hates anything about Abel, like good or bad. That anyone would listen to Abel makes him mad, but he also doesn't. I don't know. He, but he also like hates himself because he yep. hates that he gets. I don't. He gets mad. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't like the. So the whole thing too is then what happens is he like he gets mad about um, stories not having secrets because mm-hmm. he talks about. Uh, so like Abel reveals the Rook thing, right? Yeah, and the rook, guess what, is a storyteller. And if they hate the story, they kill him. <laughs> they kill him. And then guess what happens? Then Cain slew Abel again. Yeah, he does. And throws and, his head into the fireplace. And Cain's Cain is J.J. Abrams' mystery box. Like he want that's what he wants in a story. Mm. He thinks that the secret is the most important thing. Mm, yeah. How how dare that is you very J.J. Abrams esque. How dare you tell anyone else about it? Yeah. Um and then uh, little, little Danny wakes up. Look at this magazine that, that Lyda Hall is reading that just like says the word gossip in yeah. it. Yeah. On the, one I of love the it. Uh, and, yeah. And little Danny wakes up, but he has a, he has a crow feather. Ew, gross. Ew. Dirty. Uh, the end. Yeah. And the crow feather is, it's obviously. Because Matthew Matthew's there. Is Matthew Raven? We keep doing that. Oh, God. He's, he's a, a raven. raven. He's a raven. He's a raven. He's a raven. He's a raven. That's so raven. That's how we can remember it. Oh. Uh, Matthew is so raven. Oh, because he says, oh, we got to get this right. It's weird yes. being a raven. I mean, yeah. you really are a raven when you're a raven. When he gave me the option of staying with you as a big black bird or moving on, I suppose I'd rather be a man in a raven's body. Hell, I suppose it could be worse. I could have been a crow. <laughs> <laughs> They're yes, dumb right. and they lie a lot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Raven's super racist against crows, so we yeah. got to remember. He's a raven. So the last one, Ramadan, uh, is about the city of Baghdad. This one is so vibes that I feel like we This is all vibes. Blow by blow it. Like, they're, the, the, I liked the little bits where we saw, like, as the, as, um, oh, what's his name? Who? The the leader, Harun oh, Harum, al Rashid. Yeah. 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 As he walks around, he like sees a bunch of stuff that we read about in 1001 Nights. That was like, cool. Most, yes. most notably the one where that guy chokes on a fishbone and then like seven people all <laughs> say that they are the ones who killed him. Yeah. <laughs> but you see a lot of those stories. It's the, this guy, he's looking over his his beautiful city of Baghdad and saying, and this, it's, surely this is the peak of this of the city. And it makes me a little sad to think that nothing can last forever and that 
it might end someday. Yes, and it is Ramadan. It's this very holy month, and so he is like thinking about communing with a higher power about this. Yeah, so he goes uh, way, 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 way down in his basement. He goes through multiple basements. A lot of the, a lot of the middle chunk of this is just going through all the rooms in the basement where he has all this fantastical stuff, which is really dope art. Who's yeah, I do art? like the, the the phoenix who lays the white egg and the black egg, and the white egg is the one that the new phoenix comes out of, and the black egg, nobody knows what comes out of that one. <laughs> um, the P. Craig Russell. Did, did the illustrations good job p craig yeah um and so yeah it's your m your m craig he's p craig yeah that's right <laughs> gotta stick together um got a whole alphabet of people <laughs> i like when he goes through the, that's, that's the, what <laughs> parliament of rooks and an alphabet of craigs <laughs> he goes through the the fire door Mm-hmm. He just goes through a lot of cool stuff. And he goes and through the fire world, the ice world, yep, uh, like yep. the sky world. Uh-huh. Gets the hook shot. level, yep. yeah, water temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finds this glass ball resting on a satin pillow, which has a bunch of ifrit, like fire demons in it. Evil Yeah, it's like demons. Pandora's box, but like the new model where they made it an orb. <laughs> yeah, he is pondering the orb. Mm-hmm. And he goes into his little dream cafe where... Uh, he knows that the Lord of Dreams is out there. And he's mm-hmm. like, listen, I'm going to call this guy up and I'm going to threaten to unleash all these demons if he doesn't show up and talk to me. Mm-hmm. He's going to shatter the globe. And Dream does, and he comes and he catches the globe, and Dream is like, I cannot believe you called me here like this and now yep. are trying to <laughs> to bargain with me about something. But like okay, he, go ahead. <laughs> I like when he just puts the globe in his robe and mm-hmm. just goes away. I Dream like wearing that. a very like nice, like patterned, yeah, sort of genie looking kind of get fun. up for Dream in this one. I like I like his yeah. duds. And so the it's different from his normal duds. Um, Rashid is going to be like he's like, all right, we'll go to the market. We're going to bargain. I have a deal for you. I'm mm-hmm. going to sell you something. We have to go mm-hmm. to the market. Mm-hmm. So they um, go to the market. Yeah, and they wander through, and it's like, you know, it's this cool place. There's lots. Of, there's a cat lady. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And he's like, don't you know how cool my city is? Buy it from me. Yeah. And, and I, it sounds to me like he's asking Dream to do two things for him, which one is to buy his city from him. Not like take it from me or I will give it to you, but buy it from me. And then the second thing is now make it live forever now that you own it. It's yours. Yeah, I think there's something about like because you will own it. I yeah, w- it's like it's it, at, at prices like this, you can't afford not to own this city. Yeah, <laughs> and he wants it to live forever. Yeah, um, and Dream just says, "All you need to do is tell your people about it; they'll follow you." Yeah, that's it. Um, and, and then so- he wakes up in in a much less nice. Oh yeah version of Baghdad because the gleaming golden city has been put in a, in another, in a bottle. Yes. Yes. And I fell for this. Like I didn't know. So like the art, the, the gorgeous, like really vibrant, almost, you know, it feels weird to say this for this book, but like kind of, it's not surreal, but it is like hyper. It is accentuated in a way that the other, the 
art towards the end of this book is not. It is very sparkly and, and dreamlike and, and yeah. a, a little impressionistic even. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Everything in the these last few pages is very like stark and, and brown and black and yep. and just no like color or sheen on anything. Yep, 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 yep. Um and this reveal got me. Like I did not I I thought that I we were gonna be in the in that previous world the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um and the guy's like waking up, his guys work for him, is like, oh man, you must have had a heat stroke or something. And he doesn't remember what happened. Nope. It was a dream. Uh maybe. And Morpheus is there with the city in a bottle. And he's like, well, that's cool. Uh I got it. It's here. Yep. All right. And then he goes back to his like dilapidated palace. And then, and then we zoom back out. It's another. I think this is a. This would be another fable. This is a fable for sure. Yes, because the last page takes place in contemporary Baghdad, war torn mm-hmm. Baghdad. Yes. Um, there are some fighter jets in the background over an old man's head. There's a lot of bombed out buildings. Yeah, just like an awesome place where lots of awesome countries have fought cool proxy wars about yep. stuff. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And this was so this was 93, 92, yeah, something like that. So like post Desert Storm but like yep. well before the Iraq War and everything. Yep. Um and there's a little boy um hearing about how wonderful Baghdad was from his grandpa and not really believing it but maybe believing it in his heart. Well, like and in yeah, his dreams. Be- believing it because he kind of has to believe it to yeah. not be thinking about the horrors that he's surrounded by. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's that. Okay. So fear of falling, uh, fable or reflection fable. Okay. Three September's in January. We, we'd categorize that as a fable already. Yeah. Thermidor adventure story. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Um, the hunt fable, yes. August reflection, reflection, soft places, I think is a reflection. Yeah, sure. It's, it's yeah. pretty reflective on like the nature of like exploring and discovery and how the dreaming has changed. And, and it doesn't have the, it doesn't have quite as uh, direct of a person telling another person a story. That does yeah. happen in that, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so uh, Song of Orpheus fable, I would say Parliament Parliament of Rooks is several fables. Correct. And Ramadan is uh, another fable. But with some reflection in it. But with a little bit of reflection. So, like, we are... It's definitely fables and reflections. Like, the, we got yeah. more fables here than reflections. But there is, you know, there's some of both. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's fun. It's a fun one. There's a lot here. We've been talking there's for a long time. I don't think forever. we planned to talk this this long. No, we didn't. Um, <laughs> but it, I think it it is telling about the quality of these stories that we were interested to dive into. them, And I... I do think to your point andrew that like when characters are recurring now like it should be a clue to me that they're going to develop further i also think that you can he has earned being able to drop characters into these stories in a way mm-hmm. that he couldn't have like you know he can toss lucian in he can toss together everybody for the daniel one and it'll mean something it'll feel like something yeah 
you know, like you're in... you kind of you got got a little bit of of background now on who these characters are and how they are related to each other and to the world and to everything. You made a joke about the the TV guest star thing, but this is also this is the like the recurring character thing here that he gets to that he gets to play with. Yeah, um, he's not doing DC universe like callbacks. He's doing you know history (laughs) (laughs) i mean is history in the dc universe or is it in is reality i don't know dc or marvel wow think about that send us an email with your take on that one um overdue pod at gmail.com at overdue pod on social media we're going to be reading brief lives next I don't know what's in that one, so we'll find out. We have some brief lives. I mean, so this one was named very accurately, except for the Thermidor one. Maybe that was what the and was. I guess it's. I guess and you could the Thermidor. You could. <laughs> you could categorize it as a fable if you wanted to. I mean, it's got a singing head in it, but yeah, it just doesn't. It's not. It's not. I need my fables to be at least a little reflective, mm. and I don't feel like it was reflecting <laughs> on much. Okay, Andrew. I'm this so is tired. the this is the main feed one. Tell folks what they can do to find out more about the show. Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. You can go there and see the schedule for the next month. Uh, Patreon.com slash overduepod is how you can get episodes like this one early and also sit in on bonus episode recordings. Uh, participate in our vibrant Discord community where people are all the time supporting each other and doing nice stuff. Yeah. Uh, and is there anything else to, to speak of? I think that's, I think that's the deal. That's it. All right. Okay, everybody. Thank you for listening to San, another episode of Sand By Me. Mm-hmm. And I realize now that you asked me to say something at the end. Well, usually at the end of every episode of Stand Sand By Me, episode, yes. you say something. I say something. What do we like, say? <laughs> moon's still a turf. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.